Uh oh. So uh, give say action, I guess, and I'll do it. Action. Greetings <laughs> from Tromerville. This is Lloyd Kaufman, uh, creator of the Toxic Avenger, with Travis Campbell and Justin Martell, producers and director of Mr. Bricks. And you're listening to Gil and Roscoe's Bodacious Horror Podcast. Troma. Greetings, my friend. Good evening and welcome to yet another Gavin Roscoe's Bodacious Horror Podcast. podcast. Um, internet I edition. The, uh, the internet edition, yeah, absolutely. Um, I am a man of the future, Joe 90. Uh, I'm joined, as ever, by my stalwart uh, ghoul <laughs> sidekick, uh, Ghoul Rokitansky. Hello, Ghoul. Rachel Ghoul Rokitansky. Rachel Ghoul Rokitansky. Uh, how are you, Gugly Mitchie? Are you doing well? I'm doing fantastic. It's, it's weird not being on the same couch, isn't it? I know. I miss you when you're not there. The See that, um, that advert with the, the dog and the rabbit? That's how I feel right now. I always miss adverts because I never watch live TV these days. Ah, uh, right. I see. I see. Oh, well. well it's exactly like that. Yep. <laughs> Hopefully... Hopefully this will all sound awesome to the people on the internet. Yeah, I'm sure it will, because the content's so good. Uh, well, <laughs> this... it's got us in it. How can it be bad? Exactly. So, um, what have you been up to this week, Gil? Have you, have, have you managed to watch many uh, films this week? Uh, I've, I've, I've done okay, but because I've, I've been recording like music as well, so that's kind of taken a bit of my time away. And okay. then kind of planning, there there might be a full load of very odd abstract videos. Right, okay. They they will hopefully arrive in the future, but yeah, that's that's a different project. That's not our awesomeness. Right. But yeah, I've I've I didn't manage to see Texas Chainsaw Massacre just due to time problems on sure. on Tuesday because I forgot I had a prior engagement that. Yep. That just overlapped with the cinema. But I did buy a film called Apartment 143 that I have got no oh, idea yeah. about. What's that like? I haven't watched it yet. It was uh-huh. a couple of pounds and I, just, and I thought, right. I'm supposed to be like a horror reviewer now, so sure, I will pick that up because it was like... Yeah. And of course I had a lovely weekend out as well mm-hmm. with uh, the John Zorn uh, mm-hmm. Symphony Orchestra concert on Saturday night. Yeah, okay. Which was uh, described by my father as interesting. <laughs> and then on Sunday night, I uh, went to this thing with some Egypts. Yeah, so um, myself and Gil uh, met up with <coughs> one of our bodacious listeners, uh, Jamie Wilson. And um, we went to see uh, the. Soska Sisters, uh, American Mary. Um, so that's one of the films that we're going to be talking about this week. Well, um, we also got was, treated to uh, Dysmorphia. Yeah, I was going to say, 
yeah, by Andy Stewart um, and written by Adriana Polito, is that right? Um, but yeah, they uh, that was absolutely incredible. It was just a, a really nice surprise and it was something that I was um, expecting. And so they, were, we're they were so enthusiastic as well. Sure, about it yeah, at the start, sure. they were they were they were gushing about yeah, that. Yeah, the so- the Soska sisters were gushing about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think they, they said that they, they hoped that Andy Stewart would die so that they could replace his name on the film <laughs> and pretend it was theirs. Yeah. Yep. I think they've got ways of making people die by the look of them. Yeah, twist ways. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear girl. And of course Andy <laughs> has been nice enough to allow us to rewatch Dysmorphia. Has indeed, yeah. So that was that was an extra awesome treat. Yeah, I've I've so, now watched Dysmorphia half a dozen times. Yeah, it just gets better. Yeah, but it's we'll, very very good. We'll talk about that after we've done our usual rambling nonsense. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. So what, um, what have you watched this week? I've, well, <laughs> I think you've, you've been a wee bit busy. <laughs> I think you can tell by the fact that I was watching Railway Children. Uh, five minutes before we were due to record uh, tonight yep. that I've I've not really watched much extra. Um, uh, the previous week, obviously, we myself and Gil uh, unfortunately didn't record a podcast. So that's the first week that we've the first week that we've actually missed an episode. Yep, and um, since we started, and we did uh, get together last Wednesday. Yeah, we did. Uh, we had a very nice night. You you stayed very, over and. I, Very civilized. I insisted that you shower. <laughs> you, you took pictures. Yep. Was... Not while I was showering, admittedly. No. Thankfully. Well, well as not, far as I know. Not that you know of, yeah. That, yeah. that camera is so easy to hide. Yeah. So, yeah. I, th- I mean, that uh, last Wednesday we watched a couple of films. We had planned a kind of an anthology episode um, where we were looking at uh, anthologies uh, type uh, portmanteau type, type films. Uh, films. So one of those was Doctor Doctor Terrell's House of yeah. Horrors. Um, Dead of Night as well. Yeah, which, which made th- us feel incredibly Scottish <laughs> because all the accents were so thick, very, uh-huh. very, very, very English. Yeah. To the point where I think at, at first we had to kind of adjust to the accents because it's 1945, so everyone's very, uh-huh. very prim and proper. Yeah. And Hello, darling. Yes. I have no idea what's going on in this house. Can somebody please inform me? That's it. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was interesting. <laughs> was... So, yeah, it was uh, quite difficult to kind of keep track. And I think, like, because it was downloaded and with all these kind of what would you say, these kind of digital artifacts kind of playing off with the the, the kind with of dodgy the accents, uh, yeah. accents. It, it made it really difficult to actually watch the thing um, the, so the thing we ended that, up that one was from YouTube I think yeah I think so Yeah, I think so. and we're also supposed to be watching Cat's Eye, the Drew Barrymore joint um, it's, got a, it's got a motor called Christian in it, get a watch there you go, that's the entire <laughs> review of Cat's Eye now. We'll maybe mm. get back to doing them in future since we have watched them. 
Yeah, I think it'd be an idea. It'd be a nice idea to do that. Yeah, we don't, uh, we don't like watching films that we don't talk about. <laughs> oh, exactly, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know it feels like I've wasted an hour and a half or whatever my my precious time. Um, <laughs> as, precious, as we precious. so often do. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah. So this week, because we went to see American Mary and oh. So, because uh, we received a screener from uh, Jason Faggis, an uh, Irish uh, director who has made a film called The Railway Children. That's, that's uh, racist. I think that the correct term is Irish American. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's not. It's, it's not. It's not at all. It's not. He's, he, is, he is Irish. He's actually Irish. Oh, dear. Yeah. So, we received that from him. Um, and that was a that was really good. So we're going to be discussing that in a bit more detail as well. And it's got no the, motors in it. Uh, get a watch. It's got, <laughs> it's got no motors in it. That's certainly uh, certainly going to be part of my review. It's going to be pretty pretty damning on the lack of motors. Yeah, um, I'm going to damn it on lack of other things, but not in a bad <laughs> way. Don't don't worry. I I did enjoy the film. I will enjoy lack talking of, about it. But lack of furniture. Lack of furniture. Right. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, okay, and uh, later on in the show, or somewhere in the show, certainly, we're going to be um, featuring an interview with uh, the director of the new film from uh, Trauma. Um, it's uh, Mr. Bricks, a heavy metal murder musical. Uh, so that's Travis Campbell. So we're going to be having an interview with him. We're quite excited about that. Uh, of so, course, Travis Campbell is the twin brother of Bruce Campbell from the Evil Dead and, franchise. Uh, Neve Campbell. Yep. They're actually triplets. Um, I always forget so, about it's It's Nev, not Neve. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, so, sorry, Travis. <laughs> Dissing your sister. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we're going to be talking to him. Um, so that should be really cool. Um, so we're going to be staying up till I think one in the morning because they're currently the trauma team are working on Return to Newcomb High. Um, so you can hear, well, it's now called Return to Newcomb High Volume 1. So you can hear my fangirl uh, voice. Yeah. Uh, getting a, a little bit more excited uh, knowing that uh, he's currently in a meeting with Lloyd Kaufman about that project. And then coming to talk <laughs> to <not>. us. <laughs> Sorry, Lloyd. Uh, we need to need to go and talk to <laughs> Gillen Roscoe, which is yeah, that's... Insane, insane. But yeah, really cool. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, if Lloyd did even say just hello... Uh-huh. You would uh, spunk blood. <laughs> I was going to say that was exactly what I was going to say. That says uh, that says a lot. We need to stop speaking to each other. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was listening to the uh, develop podcast uh, once again. Um, I haven't heard the last two. I still have to catch up on those. Yeah, it's really good, and they're they're talking about the the gang that they're a member of, which is Dos Libre. <laughs> which is that, uh, a group, that a means group of the, Mexicans that hang out outside the library and give away books. I was going to say that that means the library. <laughs> yep. So that's that was their the kind of discussion, and they were saying that you and I uh, sounded like we had been uh, identical twins separated at birth or something. Like that. <laughs> Why <laughs> would we have of, to be separated? I don't. Well, I think they I think they they also said they wondered whether we'd met. 
perhaps after a stint in prison, which is probably close to well, the that truth. Is, that's, that's scarily <laughs> close to the truth. <laughs> given, your, uh, given your band, it's, <laughs> it's incredibly close to the truth. That is quite possibly the meanest thing you've ever said. <laughs> Gil, My band of fairy you... warriors and unstoppable skeletons. Yeah, but you have made a number of criminal records. Boom, boom. <laughs> one of which, Thanks. one of which we featured on the podcast a few weeks ago. Yeah, the, the Chris de cover. I like yeah. the fact that this podcast has finally allowed me to get that out there. And now <laughs> Chris de will sue both of us, not just me. <laughs> so you are you are an accomplice in, in my copyright breaching. Yeah, because I think in that episode I did actually say I just stick it on at the end. Yeah. Um, so, yep, uh, I am indeed in breach of copyright. If anything, I'll just say you bullied me and made me do it. <laughs> so, Christopher, come at me, bro. Come at me. Because as everybody knows, you're like the boss of the podcast, even though when we were in prison, I was on the top bunk. <laughs> and that is a euphemism. That is. Youth- so, yeah, absolutely. Um. Okay, uh, so, oh, I'm trying to think. Oh, yeah, uh, oh, I just realised that, yeah, there was something important I wanted to say, but I wanted to speak to you about it off air. No, it's Uh, fine, just... All right, okay, uh, we have actually got one extra, uh, we've got one extra signed cover of American Mary, um, and I thought it would be possibly interesting to see if we could have some form of competition uh, around yeah, that. That would be cool. I take it Jamie just doesn't want it then. Jamie's got one. Jamie got So we've got one uh, extra copy of American Mary that's signed um, that we're willing to, to give away. Um, we will post it. We need to try and think of a competition. I'm sure we'll do we'll post that on our Twitter. So if you follow us on at Bodacious Horror, um, and also on Facebook, um, it's Gilman Roscoe's Bodacious Horror Podcast, and that should go up sometime during the week. And we will uh, think of a really cruel competition. Maybe it should be a video-based competition. <laughs> People have to submit a short video. Yeah. Gaiam style, I'm thinking. Uh, no. <laughs> well, next, next week we're going to be hopefully talking about more than one uh, horror-based musical. So maybe we could tie that up somehow. Oh, because it's your special birthday. Well, it's not a special birthday. When Is get... it 36 years yeah. young? Yeah, 36. 36 years young, Christ. Yep. There you go. And, yeah, I still get to call you old man Roscoe because you are, you are just mentally older. Body's ruined. Yep. <laughs> I wasn't going to tell the boys and girls that. I was going to leave that as a surprise for whenever they do meet you. Oh, no. Well, he sounds so young on the podcast. Who yeah. the fuck is this old man in front of me? <laughs> the jaded sexual appetite, yeah. Uh, uh, a, six, a 65-year-old colonel. <laughs> exactly. Funnily, yeah. that's the second time I've discussed uh, Chris Morris today, but more on that later. Really? Okay. Yep. Yeah, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued and excited. Um, <laughs> Gil, should we go to some kind of break? 
just now, do you think? Okay, but first I need to know, are you in your pyjamas? <laughs> I actually definitely am in my gym jams. So am I. I'm in my pyjamas and my old man slippers. Wow, that's cool. So, so this, this really is an evening with Gillen Roscoe. Uh, this, is, this is as real as it gets. That's what we, we should call this episode. Definitely, Episode definitely. 20, an evening with. Because at the moment it's called... Oh, you could your wee pipe photo as well that you could use it in the, on the thing. So, oh, that means yeah. having to make a new picture. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, well, on that note, we'll go to a break. Yeah. And we'll be back after this message. With sexy words in it. Excuse me, what are you doing? Are you looking for porn again? No. Well, what is that I see? It's not porn. It's the badassboobsandbodycounts.com website. I happen to be looking at the reviews in the boobs section of the site. They have a section of the site dedicated to boobs? Yes, they do. They cover exploitation films in the boobs category, action films in the badass category, and horror in the body counts category. What's that review you're reading now? This is Andy Sidaris's Malibu Express. See at the bottom of the review there? They list how many boobs appear in the film. In this case, it's 22 pairs. This is definitely a film I want to see. You mean just for boobs? Uh, yeah, just for boobs. What's that other option? B, B, and B, C podcast? That's the great thing about the site. If you're not into reading the reviews, you can listen to them via the web, on your mobile device, through iTunes, and even Stitcher Smart Radio. And they cover the same types of films. Lesser known action, exploitation, and horror cinema. So yeah, to answer your question, I wasn't cruising porn. That's too bad. What's too bad? That you weren't cruising for porn. Uh, why? Because I was feeling kind of horny. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Get back here. Hey, get back here. There you go. Hello again. Back from the ad break. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot we'll do the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I really the people, genuinely at home, the people at home are now going to be going, what the hell just happened there? They come back from the ad break sounding like uh, just a phone call. <laughs> but <laughs> Hello. What's happening is because we're recording it using a wee device, I, like, hang up on you at the end of each segment and then come back and go, Oh, but it's <laughs> your silly pal. Didn't quite work. How are you, baby? <laughs> I should also tell people that when we were testing it out the other night, just making sure that everything was working, I wasn't even using this microphone. I went to great pains to test out high-tech equipment. Yeah, yeah. That I'm now not bothering to use. But each call that we were testing always ended with "Bye, love you." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they did. They did. So, yeah, so which which movie do you want to start with? Uh, Ladies' Choice. Ladies' Choice. Um, okay, well, American Mary is really our kind of... We'll um, leave that one for last, yeah, that's I the, think. Yeah, I think probably best to start with the short, which is uh, Dysmorphia. Um, okay, we, we shall do that since uh, it will also be... It's freshest in my mind. <laughs> yep. Because, as I said, I've now watched... Because you've watched it. Five times just there. today. <laughs> Good for you. Okay. I really, really like it. It's we can't really give too much away about this because it is a short. Yeah. And it's. Uh... I think we can we can give a, a a wee bit away. We we start off with um, a man sitting alone in a room, and um, a range of kind of a range of medical um, med- medical artifacts. I see. And, I would have uh, talked about the nice fire first. Nice old-fashioned sort of fire that your granny would have. The be- yeah. There's a really nice little pan across so you're, that. You're talking about it from the, the point of view of somebody who's just watched it. I'm talking about... 
It's five days ago since I've watched it. Oh, so. have you not had a chance to rewatch it today? No, no, no. It's working. I know. Fucking lack of effort, I know. Always with the digs about work. Like, when oh, we, like, on, like my on. ticket for American Mary says on unemployed. <laughs> Listen, I want it when fifty <laughs> off your ticket. It, no, it was only a pound off the ticket, wasn't it? And what? Yeah. <laughs> I'd have given you a pound to save, save. myself the shame. So, so girl, <laughs> girl, girl, girl. To save yourself the shame. <laughs> okay. That one man who tore my ticket now knows I'm unemployed. If he sees me in the street, he will point and laugh and mock. They look at you like, you disgust you me. scum. He said to you, enjoy the film. To me, he said, how the fuck can you afford this? Out of here. Ah, oh, Gil, Gil, Gil. So, yeah, Dismorph. Yes. Um, so you're, you're going to focus on the smoking or the... There was no smoking in Dysmorphia. Oh, dear. You wouldn't be happy. I do not insist that there has to be smoking in films. <laughs> Just, uh, I... I find it a little bit insulting to filmmakers of the past that it gets removed from a lot of films now, or okay. the old films have been recut to minimise smoking, okay. which I think you should agree with, because any time I say, well, there's a fan edit of this film, you always say, why can't you just be happy with watching it the way the director intended? Yeah, I mean... The director intended smoking in old yeah. films, and sometimes it yeah. is... It's like an artistic choice, and it signifies something. And uh-huh. when, when somebody goes through and edits stuff like that out, uh-huh. then they're really just fucking with the overall vision of a director. And that's yeah, absolutely. That's just absolutely. stupid. But anyway, yeah, sorry. Poor Andy Stewart's going to be listening to this going, these guys are talking about my fault, not talking about smoking. Because <laughs> <laughs> I smoke, and you don't, and mm-hmm. you replace smoking with a... Uh, Religion, you know, and do it right. Okay, they're both unhealthy pursuits. <laughs> okay, so, um, dysmorphia, we start off with some fire. Did you say, yeah, there's a nice old fashioned fire, and there's nice, it's it's a very beautiful looking film. This, I, uh-huh. I can't state that any more, really. It's it looks just superb okay and it's like proper just beautiful high definition it's it's what modern cameras that people can afford to use were made for mm-hmm. so many films just don't use them properly but just getting that close up to a little old fashioned fire yeah. so that you can even see all the little marks that are left on the grill You're like, yeah this film is gorgeous sure but yeah, you're going like, oh, that's just too. But no, no, yeah. at all. no, 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 no. It's, it's... <laughs> I like your tangents. They're, yeah. they're good. good. Um, but yeah, we start off um, with a kind of fairly room. One man uh, in in this room staring with... at his arm. That's on yeah, the table. and there's a a kind of narrative going in the background. About how he. Where he's saying about us being a. Being a what? Arm is a kind of. is foreign to him, it's a parasite, it's uh, separate from him, or 
it's he, he's uh, there's that kind of narrative in the background. Yeah, so uh, it was just you broke up a wee bit for me there. <laughs> I was like, what? Well, the boys, right. well, the boys and girls at home be going, what's Ross said? Yeah, you know, uh, sorry. We're in uncharted territories with uh, recording via Skype. It sure. will be fun. Um, so, yeah, he's, uh, he's saying about this being an invader. We don't know what it is, but he's certainly looking at his hand and his arm. Um, and he's got a whole bunch of medical equipment and uh, things like a hacksaw. Uh, a hacksaw and some, it's a, some it's a bone saw. Bone saw, sorry. Med- medical bone uh, saw, it's a, a secateurs, sure. a Stanley knife, a couple of sure. bottles of medical alcohol uh-huh. and a towel. <laughs> Uh-huh. Okay. I've probably so, missed one of the contents from the bag, so I would not win the generation game at the end. Cuddly toy. There's also <laughs> a cuddly toy. Are we okay? There you're bringing up the Savile Inquiry again. No me. Jimmy Savile wasn't on the, the generation <laughs> game. What his name was? Was he not? Um, Jim Davidson. Job? Oh, Jim yeah. Davidson. <laughs> Sorry. Every week you get to bring Every it week. back to the Savile Inquiry. Oh, I didn't do it this week. That was you. <laughs> So, but you yeah. could have let that slide. <laughs> no, I couldn't. I really couldn't. <laughs> um, so yeah, this was uh, this was made by um, Andy Stewart, and now is he a Glasgow-based filmmaker? Or he is. Uh, well, as as far as I believe, he's a Glasgow-based filmmaker because he did yeah. say to us on like I think it was that was on the Twitters that it was a like home crowd, and his mum was in the audience. Yeah, sure. And the it was introduced by the guy from Fright Fest who said uh-huh. that there had been some people passing out and stuff like that at previous showings, which, you know, sometimes that can just be, like, just not true. But I, I did ask uh-huh. Andy, and he said that at previous screenings there have been two fainters and one vomiter. Sorry, you cut out there, Gil. Oh, sorry. He said that there have been two fainters and one vomiter. Right. Certainly, when when he said that um, at the screening, I was thinking bullshit. I thought that's completely not true. And then I watched the. Then it got <laughs> to the point with the secateurs. Yeah, you, absolutely. Because you were sitting right beside me, I just heard you just at one sound effect, just go, "Oh Jesus Christ." Yeah, it was. It like was the, very, very... As I said, very it was like extreme. the Wicker Man. Yeah. And I mean, it's pra- all practical effects. Um, and it was really, really good. Really uh, well put together. Um, great story. Uh, great, well, great idea. Really well implemented. And as I say, the narrative in the background was, yeah. was really good as well. It's, um, it's just a really entertaining 12 minutes. But that was uh, the first conversation that I had about Chris Morris today was because when I was talking to Andy Stewart, I said that it reminded me a bit of Jam. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the way it was shot and everything. Yeah, definitely. And he said, well, Jam wasn't like an influence, but I said, well, just imagine that the main character's played by Mark Heap. Uh (laughs) He's like, well, yeah, actually. (laughs) Yeah, as soon as you said that there, Gil, I I did think that it reminds me of a lot of things that, that run jam um, it's a uh, lot of uh, low angle shots yeah, and stuff yeah. that, that were very prominent in jam and stuff like that mm-hmm. and it, American listeners might not know what jam is but 
if mm-hmm. they look up things on YouTube, Chris Morris jam, mm-hmm. they will mm-hmm. probably find whole episodes where it's essentially comedy that's really disturbing, sure. and there's some good horror elements. So yeah, because it was a it was a radio show first, wasn't it? It was. It was, it was called, like, uh, Blue Jam. Blue Jam. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. So quite interesting, and it um yeah, there's some really good stuff coming out of that period. Uh, uh, Chris Morris's work, um, yeah, so great. And because but I no, really like Chris Morris, this film really appealed to me because yeah, definitely. I, I felt like it, even though Andy said that there wasn't a jam influence in there, yeah. it's got a similar type of vibe to uh-huh. it, and, and it's certainly a look. and it certainly does have a dark punchline as well. Yeah, but uh, at the end, it's, um, that's. That's something the the boys and girls will hopefully get to see, because experience uh, yeah, Well, I believe the dysmorphia will be appearing on a a Blu-ray at some uh-huh. point. I right, don't know okay. which one because when Andy gave us the copy that we could have a look at, uh-huh. he said, "Oh, it's it's low quality. It's uh-huh, sure. it's eleven minutes long, and uh-huh. it's a three hundred and twenty odd meg." MP4, okay. which does not okay. say low quality to me, but he said uh-huh. the Blu-ray copy is like five gig. But maybe that's ah, what they've sure. been playing it from at the screenings. But hopefully, this, yeah, uh-huh. hopefully this will get a, a larger audience because I hope so. I hope so. Well, my understanding from the way that people were talking about it during the the thing on Sunday night is that Universal. Ah, uh, there was certainly. Ah, uh-huh, they certainly seem to be saying that. Um, it's quite interesting that when we walked in, I kind of recognised the writer, but I couldn't work out how I knew her. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's because I regularly go into a shop that she works in. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. it was like just one of these kind of things where you're just like, oh, <laughs> I felt really bad afterwards, but well, what are you going to do? <laughs> it's, not that, it's not that pre-marked. No, we're not going to start it. it. No. <laughs> Oh no, no, I've almost given away identification. People's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well you can't so. identify where I work as you continually point out. <laughs> oh girl. HMV, that's where I work. Oh <laughs> no. And just uh yeah, I would I, I would just like to quickly say anybody that's complaining or anybody that's celebrating the fact that the last high street music chain is just Gone into administration, you're fucking idiots, <laughs> because they're all saying, at least we've still got the small indie stores, but when our price closed in the nineties, a lot of small. Sorry, no, you you cut right out there. Well, it's I haven't for me, so hopefully, I was just saying that when our price shut down, uh-huh. a lot of uh, small towns had an our price and an indie store. Sure. And uh-huh. after the death of our price. All the indie stores became much more like our price. Sure. Okay. So, all okay. these little indie stores that people are so glad that we still have, they're going mm-hmm. they're going to change, and that's because we no longer have what they were the alternative to. Mm. When you remove the competition, then the business minds of people that own small shops yeah. are going to try and take on some of that business that is now available yeah i don't know about that but i certainly don't um i certainly don't uh 
I'm, I'm certainly no uh, clapping my hands. The HMV's closed, um, but I, I don't but know about whether... I bet you're going to the sale. Um, no, no, especially. I, I, I tend to... I do tend to try and do as much as I can in terms of trying to go to the, the Indies if I can. Um, but I do, obviously... You do go into HMV, you do go into FOP, um, so it's, they all it is what different it is. things. It's, it's a sad day because uh, it's 320 it's stores, that's a lot yeah, of employees as well. Yeah, exactly, absolutely, but at the same time, um, I think that plenty of people are worrying about that, about uh, HMV shutting, and I'm quite happy to lend my support rather than to a big company like that to lend my support to the Indies and to in Glasgow that would be Love Music particularly and in Edinburgh that would be Elvis Shakespeare or the ones that I would tend to, to kind of lend my support to. So but I, I do quite like FOP but then people see FOP but it's owned a, as, yeah it's owned by chain. HMV yeah well, it's owned by HMV so so what will happen to FOP but, uh, but, but it's, it's going to close as well it's the same position uh, it's okay. the same owners see nobody's Nobody seems to have picked up on that in Glasgow. You're the only person that said, "Oh, that means." Yeah, I mean, well, when Fop when Fop shot HMV took over. Yeah, but Fop started so, out as a a market. Just it, right. it started out. I think it might even have been at the Barras. Uh-huh, That's sure. where Fop started, and then became okay. a shop, and then became a bigger chain. Now, yeah. if you look at the history of HMV, it started out as a small independent shop as well. Hmm. Yeah. So. Yep, so, so yeah, it's, difficult times ahead nonetheless, but we've got our uh, horror movies to yep, and moving things along, and, and we're in a break. now be fully aware of the sort of random tangents we go off on. Yeah, yeah, that's okay though, that's cool, um, that's cool. Also, uh, maybe at some point in the future Andy will also come on and talk to us. That'd be really good, yeah, he's, really good. He's currently location scouting for his next film, which will be called Banquet. Right, okay. Do you know what that's about? Uh, I don't, but I do know that one of the locations he's looking for has to be a a big sort of place with a long driveway and some sort of decent-sized reception room. Cool, so okay. So I've recommended maybe asking the, the Polo Club in Maryhill, which is an Indian restaurant. Right, okay. Okay. Um, yeah, and they're also, I believe... Uh, I believe the writer is working on uh, a film called She Will for the Woods, um, which is being filmed. I'm not sure where it's, but that's that's another uh, project that seems to be coming for the same people. So it's really interesting when you kind of happen to kind of kind of what you say seem or people that you've never heard of that have been working away and kind of doing all that stuff. It's really cool. And then you see the um, stuff and you're just totally fascinated with it. Straight yeah, straight man. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, totally. We're dead behind anything like that, and if 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 we can get Andy to come on the show or anybody for that company or to come on the show, it'd be really cool to be able to get through things. Or if there's anything yeah. we can do to help, anybody yeah, else, stuff doubt. like that, or or even if they just want us to to ask the people that listen to this if any of them sure. can supply so, anything. In any so, Gal, would you recommend? Uh, would you recommend this movie? This. Dysmorphia. I would thoroughly recommend Dysmorphia. Yeah. And uh, I think it played really well, like in terms of playing before American Mary. I think that was pretty perfect. Um, every film it, should have a short before it. I think yeah, it, it prepares it you more. Well. For it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because even uh, like Pixar do that as well. At the cinema, they have like a little short that plays before the main feature. Yeah. And the one that was on before Brave uh-huh. was also in 3D, and it was just beautiful. It was just a a little. It was like a kind of homage to old silent films. But cool. but done in glorious high definition animation with beautiful colours. Yeah. And it was all about the moon. About the what? Sorry. About the moon. Ah and right. The, okay. the light, the light of the moon is actually stars that have crashed into the moon, and there's a little family that have a rowing boat that they row out to this bit, and then they have a massive ladder that they pull out that goes all the way up to the moon. And the reason mm-hmm. why the moon changes shape throughout the month is uh-huh. they're in charge of brushing away all the stars that have landed on the moon. So the the changing shape of the moon from like a full moon to a fingernail moon, that's sure. because they've been brushing the stars away. It's, oh, it's not a shadow. That's lovely. Yep. Really, so there we go. Really nice. Okay. Um, so... Should we have a short break then and uh, come back? With Railway uh, Children? With Railway Children, yeah. So we'll be back after this. Okie doke. So are you going to hang up now? Yep. I'll, okay. I'll leave this bit in the podcast. Are you going to hang up now? Yeah, I'm going yeah. to hang up and then I'm going to wet my whistle and drain the wheel. We've got absolutely no quality control here. We don't. <laughs> okay, bye. 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 Do you like horror podcasts that are family friendly? with boring hosts with bad opinions that like to perform circle jerks on each other every episode? If you do, you're in luck. There are plenty of other podcasts and other network of podcasts out there that you can listen to. But if you like to have fun and realize that the horror genre is based on this and you want to listen to entertaining hosts each and every show talk about not only popular horror movies, but also foreign, indie horror, and rare obscure gems, then look no further than Horrorphilia.com and our Horrorphilia network of podcasts. We currently host nine radically different podcasts with many more to come. I guarantee you we have something for every horror fan out there. Well, unless you're one of these people that get easily offended, don't like to try something new, or just some type of pompous douchebag. In that case, we don't want you listening anyways. For everyone else, come on down to Horophilia and prepare to have multiple eargasms each and every week. Horophilia, the sashimi of horror podcasting. And we're back in the room. We're back. We are indeed. Sorry, okay. I had to steal that line from you this week. So that you yeah. <laughs> hope, hopefully if I steal one little little Britain reference and insert it in at a stupid point, it will prevent you from doing any further ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, fuck. I walked right into that one, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, no. But also, uh, one thing that because of the way we're recording this night, some people might might miss the usual sound effects that we have. It's a bit too, too late for the ice cream van, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're usually... The ice cream van's usually on, on its rounds, uh, yeah. around Gil's scheme, when we... It's not a scheme. What is it? It's a... Uh, uh, borough? It's, it's borough. It's a, a mini multi... It's a mini multi. 
Yeah. I, yeah. Fucking. Anyway, this is one of the sound effects that I, I have to hold it up to the. Is it your lighter? We can hear it. No, it's not that. That one, everybody can always hear. It's that one. Is that you pour, opening a can of drink? That was me opening a nice can of Stella Cidre. Stella's no good for you. I don't like Stella. As a as a previous bar manager, I've seen what Stella does to people. And it really is one of those drinks where you'll get the same people that come in every night and what they, they drink is just Stella all the time. Mm-hmm. And you can, if you watch them for long enough, you get to know how many pints they will drink before they turn into a dick. And it's just kind of instantaneous. Do you know this well, isn't really about films? This seems to be... <laughs> we need to kind of tighten up here, bro. We need oh, to, for we fuck's need sake. But also, yeah, that She-Wolf film sounds interesting because you know I love werewolves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I said werewolves. 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 <laughs> yeah, so... Um, yeah, so that I, I was trying to find out the details about that quietly, but... Uh, I kind of find it offhand. Um, well, when it's uh, finished, if they feel like letting us watch it, we, yeah. we would be really, really happy. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's called the She-Wolf of the Woods anyway, so it's uh, so it's there if people want to. Um, it's been, currently being made just now as far as I'm aware. Where are they um, making it? And we can, we can turn up one day without them knowing and wander through the backgrounds. <laughs> Yeah. It'd be like a forced cameo. <laughs> okay. Then then when they've finished the film we'll review it and go, Ah oh, fuck, we walked through the wrong shot. Yeah, so it looks like they were up at Walkaw doing the location scouting. Um Walkaw's lovely. Uh is it Dalovich? Uh, uh yep. um so yeah, so up that way. So that's where they're where they're gonna be making it so that's really cool um, and there's like a wee thing on their website that says uh, it's like the Open Times Dalovich set for horror film so I love cool. Open yes it's, it's really, really nice fun. yep yep um, so yeah I'm actually planning to go back up that way so yeah so Stay Curious Productions is the name of the I don't know if that's like an association oh, that was uh, the yeah, it came up at the start. The film we watched was Stay Curious and Kuzlik. Yeah, I loved Kuzlik. That was great. <laughs> that was impressive. I like that. I really like that. That's probably another one of our references that doesn't translate, but a, a Kuzlik was what oh, we used to call to. it come, when come you got a new haircut and there was a wee bit at the front. Yeah, okay. So um, I've been liked by a cow. So moving on <laughs> uh, swiftly. Uh, Railway Children by uh, director Jason Figgis and that's by October 11th uh, sorry, October 11 Productions um, and I'll give you a brief synopsis of that so it's uh, Railway Children and the tagline is what if playtime lasted forever 
which is isn't the best tagline. <laughs> um, it doesn't really ex- it doesn't really explain the film, but I can I can see why they would have picked yeah, that. Um, anyway, the world has been devastated by a virus that has decimated the adult population, leaving small children and teenagers to roam the scarred landscape, attempting to form some kind of society with dramatic and violent results. Sisters Evie, uh, played by Catherine Rigglesworth, and Fran, played by Emily Foster, sorry, Emily Foster, have been travelling from town to town, gathering food and finding accommodation as they move from place to place. They keep to themselves, Evie reading chapters from E. Nisbet's classic children's story, The Railway Children, to her sister, in an attempt to bring a sense of normality to their bleak existence. The novel was a favourite bedtime read as both girls were growing up. Their mother, played by Jennifer Graham, their favourite teacher, their favourite reader, sorry. Yep, that's... Yeah. That's, um, uh, is that the entire thing? Or is no, it's, sort of... it goes on. It's uh, finding overnight shelter in a derelict building. The sisters soon settled down, only to be awoken by shouts from another room. Investigating, Evie witnesses the beating of a girl. So that's Alice. It's Oh, yeah, it's there, sorry. She watches in horror until the mob leaves the building and the girl behind. Tentatively going to her aid, the girl whom Evie discovers is called Alice played by Justine Rogers, leads them to a large building at the edge of the city from where they hear singing coming from a basement window. They investigate, and so begins a battle of wills between newcomers and those holding tenuous threads of a commune civilization together. Add to this further invidious threats from two of the girls' darker pasts, and an already tense atmosphere is soon to explode into violence. So this is... uh, Is this synopsis available on Kindle? (laughs) <laughs> you're such a dick I'm kidding, it's just it's quite long it's yes, quite... I think that's the, that's the official um, synopsis that's, that accompanies the film um, I was so... just to put everything's going to fuck these wains are in trouble <laughs> that would be it yeah, so um, think of it, Gil uh, I, uh, I really enjoyed it it's, it's a a strange film, really. I, but uh, calling it Railway Children makes it really difficult to kind of find out about online. Okay. Because there's obviously so many references to the Railway Children. Yeah, it's so I think that, that maybe, although the, the title works really well... Yeah, it does, it does. Because the children... And the railway children, they have their wee adventures because, you know, their parents are busy doing other things. Yeah. So that kind of carries over into this film because all the adults on the planet have been wiped out by this virus, which is really good. There's no zombies, although some people will say they're all zombies. So, I mean, all the way through it, it's the events that are happening in the the book uh, tend to kind of mirror the things that are happening in their lives or certainly have, yep. have some uh, resonance uh, in their lives. So it's quite a nice narrative structure. Well, it's a nice kind of narrative device that overarches over the plot um, and it works works really nicely in terms of moving the story along. Um, and it's like the book is their uh, way of kind of keeping a hold of the way things used to be and, yeah, a, li- well, and a little bit of normality. Yep. 
so it's uh it's it's quite sweet in that way where it's it's like a a very post-apocalyptic film but throughout it your two main characters are reading a kid's book uh-huh. It's it's like the kids in the desert in uh, uh-huh. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome uh-huh. who are having to make up things based on all the slides, but these kids yeah. have just got a book. Yeah. So, I mean, the, between the two of them, there's quite a close... It's, it's really nice, close relationship um, between Evie and Fran. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to listen to the interview with Jason Figgis. I didn't um, actually know that there was yeah, an audio interview. Yeah, there's an audio interview. It's like an hour and a half long. Oh, God. Um, Who would listen to something that's that long? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's really good. Uh, unfortunately, I've not listened to it in about two months. But, um, basically, I think Jason Figgis, uh at the time, was working as a kind of drama teacher in the, the school that these kids were at. So it was like a kind of... Um, I don't know if it was like a drama school or a part-time thing that he did at weekends, but these were all kids that knew each other and that had close relationships with each other anyway. Um, so that was, I found that really interesting that he kind of took this kind of group of kids that already knew each other and that he knew really well. Yeah, so um, the, the... Well, he'd been working with them for a period, I think, a year prior to actually doing anything with the film, and they'd been working on the film for as long as... Uh, certainly as long as that it's, it's a, it was certainly a while that they were uh, getting into that, that kind of position and there was also between Evie and Fran I believe mm-hmm. he, he deliberately I think he kind of got them to kind of be in classes together and things like that so that they would build up that kind of bond um, I don't remember exactly from the from the interview but I just thought that was a really interesting kind of so that he could, he could then pick kids to play the parts that would mirror the relationships that they had with the kids. That well, that was that was another thing that he actually said was that as much as much a part of the uh, the characters formed their own new characters up to a point, and there the way that they uh, were behaving as well. Um, so that was really interesting. Well, I wish I'd uh, listened to that. Yeah, it's really good. If if you want to get a listen to it, it's a Midnight Cory. I don't know what episode, um, but if you go to, uh, I believe it's midnightcory.com, you'll be able to you'll be able to get a listen to that. Yeah, uh, it's the electric show. Yep, they're all on his website, or I think there's also electricchair.com that has them all on it as well. Yeah, so that's, that's how I first got to hear Jason Figgis in this movie because it just sounded really really interesting, and it certainly didn't let down. Um, what I expected it to be. Um, it's certainly that and more. And then you stalked him until he let us watch his film. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a really good uh, opportunity to get a watch at this. I, I really liked it, I have to say. I mean, um, I think there's, there's issues with working with, uh, with kids in terms of being able to... How far you can to... push certain things and... No, not so much. I was meaning more. More there's there's going to be there's going to be some issues. Some some kids are going to be less consistent than mm. others. Uh, particularly younger kids are going to be less consistent than older kids. Though I mean, certainly the, the Fran was excellent. Don't get me wrong. She Emily. was really good, but I felt that maybe her character kind of disappeared a little bit, maybe in the middle of the film. Uh huh. Um, certainly. 
uh, I thought Evie was great, and the uh, so her and the the boy who they kind of built the relationship with. I uh, don't have his name to hand. It's no Simon. Oh, um, uh, Johnny Monolith would know because uh, we were we were talking about the boy uh-huh. on the right. on the Book of Faces. Uh-huh. I, I can't remember what his name is. Right. So. Yeah, because I thought he was great as well, and I thought the the kind of the relationship between them was really genuine, and it reminded me of being a teenager and kind of just that kind of quite kind of flirty way that you you are with with people of the opposite sex, and I I really liked that. I really thought it was very natural. It didn't feel forced. Um, yeah, like they're sitting up all night talking. Yeah, like I totally. Was... Dug that, and uh, as well, I, I mean, at the start, I was thinking, okay, where's the bitches? Because in any post-apocalyptic thing, there's going to be there's always some, there's always someone that's really nasty. Not, not necessarily that, but I mean, I was thinking, well, any situation where you've got kids, you're going to have absolutely horrible bullies as well, <laughs> and that's not going to be any different in a post-apocalyptic situation. And thankfully, this film uh, certainly didn't <laughs> didn't disappoint on that front. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really cool. Uh, I thought it was quite a sweet film. Actually, I I I, I thought the I mean, okay, I I could say there was this thing that I didn't like or that thing that I didn't like, but I think that would take away from the fact that overall, I really enjoyed watching this, yeah. this film. I mean, any film you can watch and you can say, well, that bit doesn't really work. And You know, even a film that I really enjoyed this year, well, sorry, last year, The Dark Knight mm-hmm. Rises, lots of people have said it has all these massive flaws mm-hmm. in the middle and it's overly long and everything. And I could probably say that about every film that we ever watch, but yeah. I think sometimes you just have to look at the film as a whole, and mm-hmm. fair enough, some films could maybe do with having five or ten minutes cut off them, but, uh-huh. you know, if it had those five or ten minutes cut off, then you would maybe say it could have done with maybe being a bit longer for some other yeah. reason, so, yeah, people should... I would also say that the the adult performances on it were absolutely they were, they were superb the, the like, start of it is is quite oh, brutal yeah i think any time where there's adults in this film it's just fucked up to because <laughs> yeah because we haven't even mentioned the throughout the whole thing with all the kids the reason for the the way that these kids are and the thing that kind of influences how they interact with each other is explained a bit by flashbacks to their memories of the last days before yep. all the adults died, whilst they're essentially surrounded by these utter lunatics. But yep. I thought it was really nice that people didn't just go insane. They, they uh-huh. still had like, moments of clarity. Yep. And it's like none, so none of the a, parents are really yeah. mean. So it's a kind of physiological um, disease, but it also has uh, mental uh, issues as well, and it causes paranoia and aggressive behaviour and so on in the adults. Um, so And that before their body just, I don't know, just, just gives up the ghost. Yeah, um, it's, it's like they're almost kind of hallucinatory type uh-huh. 
that's uh-huh. that's the way they're acting. And I I thought there was there was one guy in this who, like you'll know exactly who I mean when I say like he takes his shirt off and stuff. Yeah, like that. absolutely. And I, I, mean, I thought that it. his performance was just that was fucking superb. Can top. I I would also say. Full credit to the lassie because Christ, I don't know how I could have like somebody given a performance like that, and you want to laugh or you want to. Yep, and uh, she's just sitting to, there and she's just, just sitting there looking creeped out, and it just really worked because he was given. It's this really overblown, really, but it really works. It's no, it's no. I'm saying overblown, but if you see it, it's a huge performance. Yeah, it's, um, it's a, basically a dinner table scene. Where we've got this character Cass and her two parents, um, and her father is going through this kind of change and her mother at the same time, um, and he's just given this absolutely huge, freaked out performance that's kind of laughing and crying and being confused and being jub- uh, being jubilant and and rambling and, and rambling and everything. And she's she's able to just sit and react to it, which. I don't know. I don't know how many adult actors would be able to actually cope with that and be able to do that. So no top top marks to her for that as well because uh, no, it was it was incredible that scene and it really worked. And it was I think the what really worked about that scene was particularly uh-huh. the dad's performance. Uh-huh. It was like every single time he started to act up, you kept thinking. This is going to be the time where it goes too far, uh-huh. and it. But just doesn't it? It just doesn't. It's like <laughs> every time he, it's like you, you watch him just kind of being taken to the brink of insanity, and then it's like he's saying all these things to his, like he he then suddenly becomes aware that's my daughter, and everything kind of pulls back. Mm-hmm. It was, it was superb. It was really, really good. Yep. Yeah, it really worked. Um, it's so also yeah. really beautifully shot as well. I thought it was. Uh, yeah, the whole thing was. It's yeah. it's quite blue. This film overall, it's it's quite cold looking. It does. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, and I I think that of course, I mean, you mentioned the the furniture being. In one thing, who's got all the furniture? <laughs> yeah, because uh, well, if all the adults have died, uh-huh. how come all the houses? There's no beds, there's no couches or anything. Yeah, but maybe. I mean, that's what hails really. I mean, on no, the whole... I, I was actually thinking that maybe people were advised that uh-huh. this horrible disease is obviously being uh-huh. passed somehow, uh-huh. and perhaps what you should do is take all your furniture Bond. outside. Yeah. But then, when you get flashbacks. To certain scenes, there's there's furniture there. Yeah, like, sure. It was it was just odd that every house just seemed to be really derelict. You know, yep. they they never really stumbled across abandoned opulence, I mean, but yeah. it's a it's a tiny tight yeah. gripe. Yeah, definitely. And also because it's it was a virus that killed all the adults, I was really <laughs> all the way through it. I was I was thinking. It's going to get to a point where one of these kids has a fucking birthday and then dies. But mm-hmm. that didn't happen. So mm-hmm. I really, I like the fact that this film left me with a whole load of questions as well because it's not all wrapped up in a nice little box. It's, it's 
<laughs> it's no. really just the story of these particular kids going through this one particular thing. Yep. And the overall grand scheme of what has happened within the world and what will happen after you've seen this little bit of story is completely unimportant. Yeah. Well, I think the I think the fact that they kind of make the they make the they, they make that kind of point about what could happen and what could potentially mm. happen in the future through uh, Cass and Poppy who come in and they are I'd probably better not spoil it but they are certainly getting to desperate measures a- adopted and... an alternative lifestyle <laughs> and they're thinking ahead certainly more than more than the rest are and there's quite smart reasons for that as well it could have been handled really clumsily but when you get this kind of uh, exposition about why these characters are now like this, mm-hmm. it actually just makes sense, and you're like, "Yeah, so, I can, I can totally just accept that." Is that dude? Yep. Okay, so uh, that was the Railway Children. Um, yeah, I really dug this. Uh, definitely recommend it if you can get to see it. I think it's still doing uh, festivals and so on. Um, so if you get a chance to see it, uh, do so. If not, look it up online and try and try and find a copy of it. I'm not sure if it's out for. Um, we'll be able, we'll certainly put details up of where you can buy it from or where you can stream it when it's available. Uh, <laughs> when it's available, um, we'll certainly let you know. Because it is it is a film that that when it comes out, I will buy it. Particularly uh-huh. uh, if they put a really good making of documentary and stuff like that on it. Yeah. Okay, that's that's why I would just say to any filmmaker that listens, yeah, make a documentary about. You really need film. to listen to that interview because it was really interesting and uh, definitely worth the. Uh, in fact, we'll definitely link to that. that yeah, Jason that's what we'll do. We'll, we'll link to the Jason Figures interview. And that, so yeah, so thanks to Jason for for providing that to us, and we'll be back after this. This is Jamie from Devour the Podcast. Do you enjoy horror commentary with straightforward honesty? Oh my god, fuck this movie. Fuck this movie so hard. Oh my goodness, you know, I, halfway through this movie I was just like, let's get this thing going. Fuck this movie. Okay. <laughs> Humor and an obvious passion for the genre. I I like the cut of your jib. The ceiling, Grandma. Don't make me get out the broom. Oh, your tears are like wine. They used to call that the vapors. Cupcakes are kind of the Schindler's list of desserts. It's it's a, a pure good. I love the idea of up-and-coming horror directors taking on the found footage genre. I really, really like that idea. And that's really the worst thing you can commit as far as filmmaking is concerned, is making a film that's just average. Well, that doesn't really inspire any kind of exactly. discussion, whether it's, you know, to rip it apart or, or praise it. Then you should spend time with David and me. And Bo. As we discuss horror films from old classics. Deep Red. Empire of the Ants. Lisa and the Devil. The Baby. The Toxic Avengers. The New Favorites. Absentia. Cabin in the Woods. The Loved Ones. Shadow of Death. VHS. The Woman. Check us out on iTunes or at devourthepodcast.blogspot.com. Devour the Podcast is a proud member of the Horrorphilia Podcasting Network. So, cool. Um, so, did you say something about, about Lloyd Kaufman, perhaps, uh, being uh, on the podcast at some point in the thing, Justin? Yeah, well, he's actually on his way out, so we should... Oh. Uh, be- He's, we are coming to you from uh, uh, Trauma HQ in wow. uh, Long Island City. Yeah, the editing room. And... Uh, 
You can't see him, but uh, the man himself is actually standing right next to me. Oh, wow, wow, fantastic. Hello, hello, hello sir. Hello, uh, this is Lloyd Kaufman. Um, Justin and I uh, have no on right now. Uh, I have a huge erection. Uh, can you see it? On Skype? Or? We're just doing audio. Oh, just uh, audio. Oh. If, if only we'd left the camera on, you would have heard Ross make a girly squeal. <laughs> Travis says, use your imagination. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Cinema of mine. Yeah. Yeah. Cinema of yeah, yeah. Adam Jang. Think about um, bangers and ma mashed. <laughs> <laughs> now, yep. where, where you gentlemen sound uh, uh, as if you're from um, New Jersey? Where are you from? Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm uh, from Topeka, Kansas. Ah. <laughs> no, I'm, yeah. I'm from Glasgow in Scotland. Yeah, we're both. Ah, uh, you're a Glaswegian. Yeah, man. Are. Yep. Yeah. So we've just. You can't. You can't, Travis. You Travis can't. You can't. So yeah, um, we had yeah. our our trauma. Travis, uh, Travis, go out and watch those trains, Travis. <laughs> <laughs> He's watching trains. Yeah. Right on the ceiling, <laughs> Travis, get off the ceiling! Oh my God, you're upside down on the ceiling. Funnily, when it comes to trauma, oh, Ross is a bit yeah. of a train spotter. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So we had our trauma special in December, um, and we also that tied in with the Glasgow Glasgow discussion group, which was all about trauma. Um, so there was a group of people just discussing trauma movies and trying to get uh, make sense of this uh, this web that you've woven over the years. Um, so yeah, that was that was really interesting. And Ross, being the professional that he is, didn't even mention that he is on a horror-based podcast or that the following night we would be recording a trauma special to a room full of trauma fans. There we go. Well, we are, uh, Travis and Justin and I are very honoured uh, that uh, you uh, have even spent 30 seconds on trauma. So no, thank the, you very, very the pleasure is all ours. Ab yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Well, we've, just for that, we've we're going to make this Brick Part 2. <laughs> to punish you. <laughs> just the Brick 2 is heading your way, whether you like it or not. So how's the how's the filmmaking going for Return to Newcombe High? Well, that's what Travis and Justin and I are doing tonight. It's 9.30, and uh, we are here making the magical sound uh, uh, creation, the sound design. Okay. Is that what you call it, Travis? What do you call this? Yeah, we're uh, getting ready to go to sound mix, so we're doing sound spotting, seeing where we can add effects and stuff. Fantastic. Wow. Yeah. So I had some the spot noises. Uh, but, uh, the, uh, didn't Cowbells. Sound spotting. I had some beans for lunch. <laughs> My underwear is spotted. Does that count, Travis? Can I think it does. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you. It's, just, it's just a free-for-all. It will be... It's I, I then get to try and edit all of this into some sort of semblance where we have a start, but we don't at the moment. <laughs> we just have, yeah, this thing started, and that's kind of the way that we do stuff anyway. <laughs> Ironically, we've, we've already recorded the end of the podcast, and we... We kind when of made reference to Lloyd Kaufman being an, on the podcast jokingly, we didn't yeah. expect it actually actually happen. So, so that should be strange. So you should, know what? should we I figure out? Like a, 
Sorry. You, just got, you got me hard again. You know, guys, <laughs> very hot. Very hot young men. It's the accents, isn't it? Well, it also, is. I'm thinking about uh, the kilt and no underwear. <laughs> I'm currently not wearing either. Ooh, you, you have a brave heart. <laughs> oh, man, come and, a, on. and a massive erection. That's true. Oh, what are you wearing? Nothing. Justin wants to know what are you wearing. I'm so excited. I'm tell him speechless. Tell him slow. <laughs> anyway, I should probably go. Yeah, because... yeah man. Um, well, amazing to speak to you, Lloyd. Um, Thank you so absolute, much. Thanks. Absolute pleasure. Uh, I've been a fan of yours for so long since Edge TV, um, so it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, man. Well, thank you very, very much, and I'm going to turn it over to Justin and uh, Travis. We are now speaking to, we're very privileged uh, to be speaking to the creators of a fantastic new movie from Troma. Um, it's called Mr. Bricks. It's a heavy metal murder musical starring Tim Dax. Um, and we're very proud to be joined by uh, the director, uh, Travis Campbell, and the producer, uh, Justin Martell. So, hello, guys. Hello, thank hello you. there. Thank you very much. Hello, gentlemen. And I want to say, I want to say first of all, that uh, Travis is uh -huh. the creator uh, and the, the creative genius behind Mr. Bricks. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm the guy who uh, borrowed the cash, got the cash from my uh, grandparents. <laughs> You're the executive producer then, right? Well, they're the executive. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Cool. At eighty at eighty years old, my grandparents are the executive producers of Mr. Bricks, the heavy metal murder music. Wow. So they're <laughs> very cool. How, how did you sell that to them? Because like, I've, having seen the film, I'm thinking, if I went to any of my grandparents when they were still alive and said, "I've got an idea for a film," would you like to be executive producers? They would say, "Well, what's it about?" Well, luckily, luckily they've, they've had a long history of uh, funding my films from uh, when I was 13 years old and I made my first one, The Fart That Killed Everyone. So, <laughs> their, Mr. Bricks was not a big stretch. Yeah, you know? sure. They were, they were eased into it. So, they, they, they're used to your artistic vision and just kind of trust you that you're not just going to run away and spend all the money on hookers you will actually produce a film that they can then show to their friends. Yes, and when you make a movie for only uh, 3000 there's not, uh, you know, you don't have to worry too much about that investment. Yeah, so $3,000, did you say? Yeah. That's right. Wow. That's, that's, that's amazing, really, because yeah. uh, this week... You really it. So you, you guys are both employed by Troma, is that right? Yes. Um, at the time, too, we were uh, both trauma employees, and mm. then uh, yeah, Justin how, does, how did that kind of involvement start? How did you how did you get involved with trauma in the first place? Um, when I moved here in two thousand seven, I had just applied on their website for the graphic designer job, <laughs> and I got it by you know just luck. And then uh, when we moved along around the city, Michael Hers uh, promoted me to the editor, so that's where I am now. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so I uh, saw that you'd, you had uh, co-wrote the, the film from, you co-wrote Mr. Bricks uh, with Warren Miller. I take it you had the you had the kind of original seed of the idea and she wrote the script, is that right? Or 
Yeah, I had an original script. It was more like trauma esque. It was more goofy. Right. Okay. I think even like Mr. Bricks was a mute in it, and he only sang in his head or something. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and okay. and actually, uh, one interesting part is Tim Dax is um, a very very hardworking uh, guy. Yeah, you get that impression. Yeah. He he sends uh, postcards of himself around to pretty much everyone in the business, right, uh-huh. Travis? Yeah. That's, that's how you discovered Tim Dax. Yeah, I saw his postcard and I was like, "Who the fuck is this guy? I got to talk to him." And, yeah. Uh, once I got encouraged to email, and we emailed each other for like a year before we even met, talking sure. about various film projects. And then I had the idea for Mr. Bricks, and uh, once you know Justin came on board and said he'd produce it, I said, "Oh well, we got Tim Dax," and you know, it just kind of went on from there. So it was always conceived as a musical, or was that something that came along later on in the process? Um, it was conceived as a musical. I wrote a couple of the songs even before you know the writing of the script sure the script and then um which ones Mel- which ones preceded it uh it was uh suicide all right uh-huh oh hell and what so, one sorry oh love is hell right yeah or hello hell yeah all right okay sure so uh and then once the script came in uh we would just find ways to work it in and uh or i'd take lines from the script and write you know that's how the love came about there's a big dialogue scene, so we just took the dialogue and put it into a song yeah. where they were singing back and forth to each other, beating the crap out of you know one another. <laughs> yeah, that is quite an interesting idea, though, to to have like just the seed of a musical and to finally actually finish it. Because I think a musical would be a really hard thing to write because you have to strike like a decent balance between songs and plot but also the amount of plot that you include in songs. So when you were writing the songs, were you just kind of thinking, this song has to advance a bit of plot? Or were you thinking, yeah. well, at least if it doesn't all come together, then I've still got these songs as well, and, well, yeah, at least that could become a gig. <laughs> right, it'll look cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Huh. yeah, no, uh, each, for each song... Uh, that was my intention is to move the plot along so you don't get stuck watching something and you're like, why is this in here? Uh, so we were trying to find that balance too on set of, you know, finding, you know, the plot of the song and what they're doing in it and choreographing the whole thing. And the actors were really great. You know, we would get it. Uh, we would rehearse the songs too, like me and uh, Vito Trigo, uh-huh. who plays uh-huh. Dukes. We would aye, just, aye. Uh-huh. Uh, Trauma's editing room and go over the songs and then, uh, you know, he would choreograph it, and so we would both kind of work it out. So we got set; they would it would be ready to go. So how that, did, how uh, did... that reminds me of uh, that brings me to two side notes. Uh, a, you can see uh, Vito Trigo uh, as one of the Cretans in uh, Return to Nukem High. Oh wow, <laughs> fantastic! Okay. And uh, can you B, can you I, see Brick Bronski in Return to Nukem High? You can, you can actually. Wow. You can. That's that's like <laughs> yeah. the biggest exclusive because even on IMDb he is still that's listed awesome. as rumored. Yeah, well, uh, I, I don't think Lloyd would mind, but we can uh, confirm that rumor that he is uh, he, he is uh, in fact uh, in the movie. He's got a cameo so with fun. Lisa Gay and Lisa oh, Roll. No way, man. Oh, that is. So that is... <laughs> oh, dude, that is going to be awesome. You, yeah. If only Fantastic. if Ross had the camera on, you would see his cum face round. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the man, thing good. is, they're all together in the same scene. Oh man, oh, that's, that's going to be brilliant. Yeah. 
really big world that. But yes, yeah, uh, so we, we should get back to Mr. Briggs though, instead of <laughs> trying to get just uh, speaking of Vito Trigo, the other thing is that uh, Travis is uh, Vito's singing voice. Oh yeah. The, uh, See, I wasn't the... sure about that. I was I was going to actually ask you that. If did most of the actors uh, perform their own uh, their own vocal parts, or was that, uh, or or did, for example, you you obviously played his his role? Um, like for example, did Tim Dax do his own own stuff, or? Uh, yeah. Well, no, Tim didn't sing his own stuff. That was my friend uh, Tony Enns, who's ah, in a poor band out here yeah. in New York. Uh-huh. You can actually see him in uh, his version of Brick by Brick, which is a special feature on the DVD. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. And he has an audio commentary track. With Travis. Ah, okay. I, I didn't act- see the audio commentary because Ross took the DVD back. <laughs> but I did see the making of... And so you're playing else. in Tony Enns' band now, is that right? Yeah, I do. Play yeah. guitar for so is that is that a hardcore band? Did you say or? Yeah, yeah, they were they've been together for like twelve years, and I right. just like joined you know like a month ago. That's really cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it does feel more like a hardcore. It's, I know it says heavy metal in the title. It does feel more more hardcore than than anything else. Yeah, we've gotten that a lot, and it was just um, I guess it's just from my background, uh-huh. and uh, you know because I've been in a lot of hardcore bands and stuff, yeah. and people were like, you know, this is more hardcore than heavy metal. And then uh, it's like, well, how do you define, you know, what heavy yeah, exactly. metal is? It's such a line. Yeah, absolutely. So what bands? The same thing is, I mean, what is rock and roll? I mean, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, Ross, Ross, and I are actually both also musicians uh-huh. as well. So we yeah, and, and we also <laughs> have problems with people who can't really define exactly what the music that we do is because it doesn't really stick to one particular genre. And right, I think yeah. genres are mostly bullshit and they're just an easy little pigeonhole that only gets used when your music appears in a shop. Exactly. Yeah. And it's easy for people to bitch about, too. Yeah. And, you yeah. Know. So and if you get put yeah, in the music. wrong pigeonhole, then it's easier for them to bitch. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, you guys obviously play. We've had some uh, less polite uh, criticisms. But, uh, um, <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I, I, I'll That's just spend like, the next half hour going, no, everything's awful, everything's terrible. <laughs> if that makes it feel more like a Mr. Brick-styled interview then for you, I'll, I'll just <laughs> adopt the character of a really mean guy going, how dare well, you, be, uh, how dare you, young man? That's not heavy metal, that's hardcore. So, it's quite well, a, a kind of negativity. Come... What was that, sorry? I said, at least we were here to defend ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because actually, uh, I I looked up when I before when Ross got the DVD, he was watching it, and I thought, well, I'll look up, and I I did see some of the criticism on message boards, and it was, oh yeah, it was really odd criticism because it seemed to be like there were people that were pretending. On both sides, both really, it was like both sides of the argument seemed flawed when you're reading them, because there were people that were that were just jumping in, just from all angles, whether it was positive or negative, where you thought this is not entirely, this is just somebody that wants to be in an internet argument. So maybe yeah, I mean, it just seems like a film that maybe people can argue about easily for some unknown reason. <laughs> 
Yeah, people either love it or they hate it. And then on the internet, the message boards, like, you know, people attack it. Uh, either it's like, you know, really rabid love or really, really hateful hate. You know, it's mm-hmm. like there's no middle ground with it. It's really strange. Yeah, we have, we have a joke around the office that we say, Mr. Brick, see it with somebody you hate. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, in reality, I mean, you know, just uh, it was an interesting idea. It was a, a unique idea. Yep. And, um, you know, we had a couple thousand dollars and uh, some equipment and, uh, you know, pulled off making a feature film here in New York, uh, which can be difficult as well. Um, yeah. And, and it was really it, it's our first it was our first feature film and uh, we're all uh, proud of it. I know everybody involved in it is uh, yeah. very proud of it. Now, a lot of us have gone on, you know, Travis and I, uh, you know, Travis wrote and is editing Return to Newcomb High and. Uh, and I produced Return to Newcomb High, etc. Yep. Tim is out in L.A. Uh, uh, he's dancing with uh, Christina Aguilera. Yeah, I, yeah, I was going to say that earlier on. He was on, was it the VMAs? Or something like that. It was, it was one of these things that I don't really give a fuck about. But <laughs> when you, yeah, but when you look really up cool. Tim Dax, it appears. <laughs> You're like, what? Seriously? The guy from Mr. Bricks is dancing next to Christina Aguilera? Yeah, it's crazy. I was thinking, oh, shit, if only we'd done this interview earlier, I could have said, can you pass on a message to Tim to pass on to Christina saying, I don't mind that you put on a bit of weight. I think you actually look better and healthier. Please phone me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, if, so, you'd have, if uh, you'd like to have Tim on sometime, we can certainly talk to him for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that would be interesting. We saw in the documentary that he had quite a bit of difficulty, for, and as you can kind of alluded to there, he had a bit of difficulty uh, filming the exterior shots uh, by the, the police and the cops keeping coming and harassing you. And um, the locals accidentally phoning people up <laughs> saying, there's something horrible happening down the street. I loved that sign, we are making a movie. So I was, I was, just, I was yes. just wondering what were the main kind of challenges that you saw in mov- making the movie? That was mainly it. Was filming outside at yeah. night, um, and so the, when we rehearsed, the cops came up and they looked at Tim and they said, "Take off the mask." <laughs> yeah, because for so from for then on, uh, hasn't seen the film. Tim Dax has basically a full face tattoo that makes it look like he's wearing a kind of uh, a Greco-Roman type helmet and yeah. a tattooed-on type beard thing. It's yep. I can imagine that he looks like quite an intimidating character, but when you watch the making of documentary, you just think, that man's a darling. <laughs> he's like the nicest guy in the world, yeah. He's like so, you know, atypical of what he looks like. It's like yeah. He's like very nice. Did it actually um, make it easier to make the film when you had a person that was like that roundabout? Because I can imagine that even when you were at the... Like the worst point of filming because there always has to be a good point and a bad point of filming right. but just his whole attitude and kind of upbeat outlook would be the sort of thing that would make you kind of think no it's going to be fine it's it's all going to work out we're going to finish as much of the film as we possibly can because there's some scenes that you said in the documentary you couldn't finish for different reasons but did did he kind of buoy you all on and make you feel like, yeah, this is, it's all going to work out okay. Tim's here. Yeah, he was always positive and he would always like, you know, keep your head up, let's go. And even <laughs> after the movie, 
After the movie was done, the funny thing is um, he came into trauma and gave a motivational speech to everybody. Fantastic. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, uh, I mean, he's a great guy. And, and everybody's attitude, I would say, across the board was very good. Especially, I mean, the actors were very, uh, Nicola, Vito, uh-huh. uh, all of them were very positive. Everybody, while we were doing it, were aware of the budget limitations, as yeah, in yep. no budget, and uh, aware of time limitations, etc. Because, I mean, that was the, I would say that was the hardest part, was uh, everyone's attitudes were great, but we were shooting, you know, we shot the movie over the course of uh, one month and every weekend. And, I mean, it would literally be, a, you <laughs> okay. know, 20-hour 20 uh, 20, 20 hour days. 20-hour days, you sleep four hours, get up and start again. Yeah, uh, that was one of the most challenging part was the, the lack of sleep, and then going back into work on Monday yeah, and working at Troma, which is a uh, um, you know it's not exactly a, a punch the clock uh, kind of job as Lloyd Kaufman likes to remind people, yep. as he lovingly reminds everybody. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. like twelve hour, twelve to fourteen hour days of Troma, and then we're uh, doing the film on weekends. But uh, it was interesting. I guess, yeah, well, yeah I guess it was, it, everyone was just in the, uh, you know, we're going to get this done uh, mindset, you know, and, uh, and we did it. We, got, we ended up with movie. I would say that's one of the kind of positive things that you see in the kind of documentary. I know I've I've seen a few of these, a few of the trauma documentaries um, that have been put out, um, and quite often there's always kind of some degree of turmoil, but Mr. Brick seemed to be relatively untroubled with it, it was, uh, by and large, in fact, I think the only argument you see is like two months after wrapping. Yes, yeah, so that's the editing thing at the start. Yeah, that's, and that's yeah. right at the very start of the film. So did you put that in there intentionally to go like, this is one of the ugly sides of making a film, but don't worry, yeah, you're now going to see us make it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we wanted to show what like really happened with it, you know, that, uh, you know, we would... A lot of times it wasn't pretty, and you know yeah. we would argue all for the greater good uh, at the end of it. But yeah, I mean, I watch the documentary now, and some of that I was like, oh, I don't even remember that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, the point of, I guess, the point of the behind the scenes really is, yeah, you're right. A, a lot of times those documentaries uh, show uh, uh, fighting or things like that. We want to show people that, uh, and this is some people say this is for better or for worse, but that you know you can in New York City. On a, with a busy schedule and with a couple thousand dollars, you can shoot a movie. And that's yep. what the making of that movie, uh, you know, that's what we aim to show. And I think it, it succeeds in that. Fantastic. Again, some will, some will argue that the fact that the movie was made is uh, for better or worse. But yeah, yeah, there, yeah. <laughs> but I think that the, the best response that you've got to anybody that says, well, I, I hate this film or any negative stuff, as you just say, Look, here's the making of documentary. This film cost three thousand dollars, and as Lloyd would say, make your own damn movie. You know, three thousand dollars. <laughs> you can probably raise that amongst half a dozen friends over the period of a year, and the next year make your own fucking film. So, you know, if people are going to bitch about something that is a piece of art, you know, that's their problem. But you've gone and done it, so. I was quite interested, guys, to find out, um, just in terms of the kind of casting process, uh, whether whether kind of deciding in terms of your 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 actors that you were you were selecting, um, whether you were making some conscious decision between uh, whether 
between singers that could act or actors who could sing? Was there some amount of balance needed to be struck there? Or, in fact, you've said that Tim, that nobody really sang their own parts. Is that right? Um, Nicola sang um, a couple of her own songs, like ah, right. that okay. song "Torn," and uh-huh. then there's another vocalist for her too. So uh-huh. we kind of blended the two parts together. Ah, uh, see, okay. Yeah, but consciously, no. I mean, I knew Nicola like from uh, doing a Redneck Zombies intro at Trauma, and we ah, always right. okay. together on a film. Uh-huh. And Tim always wanted to work together, so we got those two together, and that kind of worked out. And then Vito was um, Justin's roommate at the time. Hey, okay. They all went to school together, actually. Jeff Cornell, the director of photography, they all live together. They have their own, uh, you know, ship to shore media. Yeah, right, okay. Justin offered to come along and produce it, you know. He also brought Jeff and Vito, which, you know, brought together their side, and, and then, you know, Nicole and Tim. So it was just. It was, you know, luck. Fantastic. So if you, if having been through the whole process now and being able to look at it all in hindsight, if you had any advice that you could kind of go back and give to yourself about maybe things that you could have changed slightly or just avoided, then what would that be? Because that might be quite interesting for anybody that's thinking of making their own film I would say get more sleep (laughs) (laughs) Um, and just uh, not to be too bothered by what happens in the end it's out of your control Uh, like when I read a lot of that shit on the internet I got really pissed off Mm -hmm. but then like uh, I learned that it is what it is we made a good film and to uh, accept it you know for what it is and uh, I don't think I would change a lot of it. Um, it was a great experience. It was a good first feature. Yep. What about you, Justin? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the biggest thing is to remain positive. Exactly. Uh, unfortunately, uh, there uh, across the board, there can be a lot of negativity yeah. uh, in the artistic community. And uh, it can really, really distract. And, and it's important not to get bogged down in that kind of stuff and uh, remain focused on... Uh, uh, the creative aspect and the art, and uh, and uh, stay positive. Which again, as we said, uh, Tim Dax was uh, a great person to have around because uh, he kind of made sure everyone was always uh, yeah. thinking positively. Yeah, I mean, his his wee speech hardcore uh, at the start and the documentary is just amazing. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. <laughs> you feel like just running into the streets and jumping on top of a car or something. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say going up and giving him a hug, but if you were to jump in a car. (laughs) That's the great thing about the documentary. I think it really sheds light on the whole thing. Yeah, I do. And and the other thing that I would add is uh, there are so many people who have good ideas for movies, you know, maybe even better ideas than Mr. Bricks, or even have access to more slightly more money than we had and stuff sure but they they talk about these ideas and they don't do them because they think oh well maybe i can't do it i don't have yeah. time or it won't be enough money and the thing is uh you know uh you just you just do it you don't exactly. that was what we did with mr Rex was we talked about it we set a date we said on april 1st uh, 2010 we're going to start shooting it and uh we just uh, didn't look down you just we just uh did it you know did you guys um, more or less do it independently from trauma then yeah, well, we were working there, and we did it uh, on the side. Yeah, we and just wanted to make a movie, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
we did it on the side, and uh, um, then Lloyd found out about it, and uh, he liked it, and that's when that's when we shot his uh, uh, cameo, which actually you see in the behind the scenes is the last thing that we shot. Yeah, that, that was really that was really funny. All the people, the what well, there was was there one guy that just kept intentionally walking through the shot just to be a dick. <laughs> there was something wrong with that guy. I, yeah. I don't know. He had, there was one guy. He he walked through laughing, and then he walked through crying, and then he was uh, I don't know. <laughs> So I mean, you you've got a number of other cameos from uh, like Richard Barone as well, and uh, Sean C. Phillips. Uh, and I was just wondering what to, what was it like working with them, and how did you get those people involved? Well, for Richard, uh, Justin knew him, and uh, working with him was great, especially on that brick by brick song you yeah. can see behind the scenes. It was it's just... completely different. It's so so strange how different the song is with, with him doing it. Yeah, well, it's not a, it's not heavy metal. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, not, it's great. Richard, Richard Brown, of course, is a, a new wave artist. Oh, uh, he's a member yeah. member of the Bongos. Yeah, um, and I, I knew him actually because he and I uh, worked Tiny Tim album together. Ah, okay. uh, and uh, I actually just did a, a documentary about him about uh, an album he made in the '80s, which uh, you can see on the. 25th anniversary of uh, Cool Blue Halo. It's the name ah, of the album. Okay, so that's, his, that's his solo album. Uh, yeah, it's a solo yeah. album ah, that he did yeah. after uh, the Bongos. And Dig Sin Records just did a three-disc release of it. And the third disc is this documentary that we did. Fantastic. Uh, about that. But, um, yeah, I guess to make a long story short, uh, you know, so he and I were friends. And uh, he was, uh, of course, uh, you know, we're interested in what each other are doing. And um, he wanted to be involved. And we were happy to do it. And he heard... Uh, Travis's version of Brick by Brick uh-huh. and uh, uh, came up with his own uh, unique arrangement and came in and he and Travis hashed uh, something out and liked it. Yeah, that was like the you know coolest thing is like you have a professional musician come in and you're like, oh wow, you know, yeah. he brings neat toys and everything and uh, it was just like I felt humbled by it that you know he would sit in a, this little editing studio and record his stuff on GarageBand, you know, it was just Yep, and it's was, great, even again the interview that he gives and the thing is just like, he clearly is just he's nonplussed by it he's just quite quite the thing, just going well, I'm just here making music, it's nothing and it's just yeah. so cool so yeah, it was great to see that as well Yeah, yeah. he just comes across as just a, a complete artist and he's just like, well, yeah, I'm just doing what I want to do and well, it doesn't matter what about Cool, cool Duder? That was uh, another interesting cameo. I think it's significant in that it may be the last uh, appearance of him and MJ Kelly together. Ah, right, okay. Yes, who <laughs> now, uh, Cool Duder and his associates, I believe, re- refer to MJ now as the unmentioned one. The one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I believe that it is, right, Travis? It is. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, what Ross will be calling me next week. <laughs> like, now that he's finally spoken to Lloyd, he's hit his high point and any ideas he ever had for a podcast, and that'll be it. He's going to quit. He's going to walk out. Because he seemed to, he seemed to quite, he seemed to nail his part as well quite well. He was kind of improvising quite a lot, so it was really. He's cool. a he's a funny guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, he just came on because he's kind of part of the uh, extended trauma family, you know, and. Uh, we of course liked his videos and just said, uh, you know, if you buy from uh, Maryland, uh, we'll give you uh, we'll give you a part of the movie and uh, an associate producer credit. And he said, okay. Yeah, absolutely, fantastic, man. 
Um, so how did you? How would you say you found the the experience of directing your first feature? Um, what was it? What was it kind of like? Uh, and what, what's your intentions now going forward? Um, during the first feature, I was I had no idea how you know how exhausting it would be. I did a lot of short films, but when it came to the feature, I was like, wow. Um, and it taught me to be more prepared <clears throat> and to be, uh, you know, that the next one would be better and better. Yep. And with my second movie, Slaughter Daughter, I took everything I learned on bricks and put it to that. And now I just want to move forward and be like the best director that I can be. And, Fantastic. You know, make the, you know, low budget movies for, you know, just like good movies. You know, what's that, what's um, happening with Slaughter Daughter? Um, we just finished it and, uh, it's in festivals right now. I'm looking Great. for a distributor, and we'll see uh, what happens with that. Yeah, fantastic! Wow, that's really cool. Well, hopefully, um, we'll get a chance to see that at some point. Yeah, definitely. I can send you a screener. Oh, that'd be well, really... that, that would be even better. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Have to leave the house. This guy's always on, gentlemen. Don't listen to him. <laughs> My goodness, I'm he'll, the consummate he'll... unprofessional. He'll be talking you into buying something for his Amazon wish list next. <laughs> Can what I mean? Fuck's sake. Uh, Manborg. So, Manborg's on my Amazon wish list and it's my birthday on Thursday. Oh, we, we, oh, don't man. Man, we don't mention Manborg. I want to see it. No, that's a good one. All right, oh, okay. Well, see, there you go. They've seen it. Can you send us a screener of that? <laughs> oh, shut up, man. I'm kidding. Uh, we have Troma is not the distributor of Manborg. Uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You have to uh, you have to contact uh, Astron Six. <laughs> yep, uh, that's got he's out up. I am sorry. He's it's just it's trying to cause trouble. Guys. It's three in the morning though. <laughs> I'm sitting in very little clothing, drinking cider. <laughs> right. You know, well, if it wasn't for Skype, I'd be shouting at the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're we're happy we can help uh, help you at least. <laughs> it, this is no longer. This an is actually your intervention, Gil. This is your intervention. As um, so, guys, where where are you in Newcom High just now? Where's the what's where's the production with with that just now? Um, we're getting ready to sound mix it, and then we'll color correct it, and then um, it goes out to the Stars Network well, in America. Um, yeah, it's the a good uh, important thing to note is that it will be released in two volumes as an event. Yeah, film. saw that. Wow. So we are, uh, um, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't want to say too much, is uh -huh. because that's, that's uh, more of the uh, the boss's uh, yeah uh, uh, sphere of influence. Yep. But uh, oh, don't worry, uh, we've only got two listeners. No, <laughs> nobody will know. And the two listeners are Ross and I. We just we record conversations and then listen to them. We don't even put this on the internet. Oh well, all right, good to know. It's, well, it's a good, a good chat anyway. But he's, uh, talking, he's, he's talking so much nonsense. Yeah, sorry. Uh, it will be released in uh, two volumes as an event film. So uh, we're preparing to sound mix volume one. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's really cool, and. Why is it over? Why is it over two? Why is it? Why have you split the, split the movie? Is it? Did you have too much footage, or is it just an intention to go back and do more? Oh, just uh, it's uh, you know, it's a good story. It warranted uh, two, two volumes. volumes. Awesome. Uh, okay. Like, you know, like uh, Kill Bill. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Only uh, uh, much more uh, poignant and. Uh, yeah. 
and without the horrible feet scene, hopefully. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh no, we've we've got some uh, we've yeah. got some good feet uh, scenes in here. For uh, I mean, Lloyd Kaufman is a uh, foot fetishist uh, after all. So. Yeah, but good good feet is a good <laughs> thing. The, the the feet scene in Kill Bill is just go. Oh, <laughs> your face is nice, but your feet oh, washed. <laughs> Yeah, he's a a businessman first, an an artist first, a businessman second, and thirdly a foot fetishist, Lloyd Kaufman. (laughs) So yeah, I just noticed that uh, Troma had just launched a new Indiegogo campaign, and I was wondering if you wanted to give our listeners a bit more information about that. Uh, Yeah, um, we're uh, Travis and I are working on that as well. That will be uh, a um, a sequel. To our uh, two th- our follow up rather to our 2002 documentary All the Love You Can. Yep. Um, and with the changes uh, within the film industry and uh, international markets, uh, you know, this is uh, time for an update. Um, and uh, the movie will use the international sale of Return to Newcomb High at Cannes as its centerpiece. Yep. Um, so we're gonna bring you. Uh, it'll be uh, edutainment, uh, like the uh, first, you know, like all the love you can. Um, sure. And we have launched an Indiegogo campaign. That's, so that's Indiegogo.com/slash/OccupyCan. Yeah. And that's where people can get involved. And there are some great perks, mm-hmm. such as uh, joining the Trauma Team at Can, Executive Producer Credit, uh, all the way to, down to the last pair of uh, uh, child's uh, Toxic Crusaders underwear. Really? Wow. <laughs> And they're, they're signed by Lloyd, aren't they? I think. I, think yes, I read, read that on Twitter. So there you go. You so if anybody wants to buy some signed child's underwear, that's where to go. <laughs> yeah. That's not an offer you hear every day. Well you, right. well, you need to get them so you can uh, uh, wear them and drink your cider instead of your <laughs> uh, No, I have to be a true Scotsman all the time. <laughs> <laughs> underwear is not allowed. Also, right. I, I have an issue. So, what about, <laughs> Justin, what about yourself? Have you got any uh, future plans in terms of what's your next move as a filmmaker? What are you going to be working on? Well, right now, it's uh, Return to Come uh, Again, we're you know, moving into Sound Mix for Return to Come High Volume 1, and then we're uh, going to be working on Volume 2. So yeah, that's... I was just... Uh, no, I was just wondering if you were doing any independent projects or anything like that in the same way that, that Travis maybe was or anything, nothing at the moment. No, no, no immediate plans. Just really focusing on uh, making uh, Return to Newcomb High uh, everything that it can be and uh, just uh, spreading the word, you know, spreading the good word of uh, yeah. trauma. I mean, the trailers look amazing. They look really, really good and really close to the original the original feeling of the, the first, certainly the, the, the last two movies. Uh, more than more than the first, it, it looks absolutely brilliant, and I'm really looking forward to it as a fan. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it as well because I love those films. I used to go to a Great. nightclub where they had uh, television screens round the bar, and they always used to show trauma films. And uh-huh. whenever that one came on, it would just be oh, there's class of Nukemai too. I'm going to spend most of my time tonight watching the screen, not caring about the music. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, so, so yeah. Just a quick side note. I'm sorry for doing all the talking, but no, no, as, as a quick uh, side note, um, it's not in stone yet. But 
There may be at a trauma dance 2013. There may be a reunion of uh, Ethan Hurt and the Coup to perform the uh, Class of Newcomb High uh, theme song. Oh, Fucking hell, that would be awesome, man. That would be Not so good. Song, but uh, we're talking about it. That'd be really, really cool. So that'd be it. So when is when is trauma dance? When does that fall? Uh, April twelfth and thirteenth. It'll be uh, in uh, Asbury Park at uh, Asbury Lanes uh, again, New Jersey. New Jersey. Well, if that happens, you have to make sure that that's filmed and sent yeah, to absolutely. us immediately. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So guys, thank you so much for for taking the time to to speak thank to you. us. Thank yeah. We really, really appreciate it. Um, we we enjoyed the film. Um, thought it was really cool, a really unique idea. Um, so. Just want to say thank you so much for taking the taking the time to to do this with us. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having us. Thank you for enjoying the film. Yeah, man. Yep. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very All much, right. gentlemen. This is Lloyd Kaufman, president of Trauma Entertainment and creator of the Toxic Avenger, and much of Madness, the best entertainment that the Toxic Avenger and I have ever seen. Much of Madness is traumaific. Horophilia is much of madness, more of sin podcast. Only at horophilia.com. Okay, so that was our interview with uh, Travis Campbell. I'm um, sure that you all found it fascinating because uh, obviously we know everything that was said in that interview <laughs> and we're not recording this bit before the interview. <laughs> we're dwellers of the past. I, I thought it was great when uh, Lloyd joined him. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was. Oh, if only that did actually happen in the future. That was, awesome. that was a nice surprise. Yeah, every time you say in the future now, I'm just thinking, oh, man, Borg, hurry up and come out. <laughs> I know, I know. So, um, February yeah, the so... 4th, man, Borg by Astro and 6 hits DVD in Europe, but isn't oh. doesn't have a, I don't think it's got a release date for the US and Canada and all yeah, that yet. I think so, yeah. So, um, yeah, so... Our kind of main feature for tonight then is uh, aside from obviously our interview with Travis Campbell, um, American Mary uh, by the Soska Sisters. Oh, I didn't watch uh, this one. <laughs> I know for a fact that you did. Um, so I was trying to watch it, but when you kept rubbing my leg, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, well, Gil, man. if you could pull up the synopsis because I think my internet's really dodgy here." So I would. Uh, all right, you do it. I've I've been very wary about not using internet whilst we're doing this, but it's all right. You know what? Okay. I'm like I just don't care anymore. Okay. I just don't care anymore. What do you say about me? Cause you remember me. Yeah, yeah. That's a flashback, Jack, by Adamski from 1991, <laughs> I believe. Album version different from the single version. There you go. And one of the kind of most interesting things that I found out about Gil was uh, Room of the 90s this week. Um, when I was staying over at his house, Gil's got a, a spare bedroom that is that is literally like stepping back in time. It has a pop itself poster. Yeah, it has a pop yeah. itself poster, a Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine poster. A Kate Moss poster from Loaded. Yeah, that's just up there uh, just due to irony. <laughs> I don't yeah, actually think Kate Moss is... I mean, fair enough, I can understand that she is an handsome woman, but, uh, you know, I'm really... Uh, well an handsome woman. An handsome woman. An handsome woman. Yeah, that's how you would say it. She is an handsome woman. You say a handsome woman. 
suggests otherwise a fucking moron. But uh, yeah, there's also uh, get your grammar right, people. Come on. <laughs> Both of my grammars are dead. And Gil, you are an <laughs> sorry. And hero, there's even a fucking meme about it with kids on the internet that are making a fool of people like you. I know. Get over it. Yeah, I only see shit like that is, to wind you up. Like historic Scotland and historic Scotland production. Can I mean these are civil servants? These people are paid money. But at least they're civil. <laughs> yeah, know? I know. I know. Nobody uh, was. No, because um, you you work for the Tetchy servant uh, <laughs> business, don't you? <laughs> I think that's exactly what I would The do slightly like. irate servant service. <laughs> yeah. So, but also I've there's got a great big EMF poster. Yeah, but the thing that I was going to say that was most important about Gil's, uh, Gil's bedroom of the 90s is, firstly, that there's Nirvana vinyl that I didn't steal, but secondly, there's a prosthetic arm lying next uh, to so the bed. You picked me up on saying Anne, but it's not a prosthetic arm. It's just it's it? just a fucking fake arm from a joke shop. When you keep posting on the internet that I have a prosthetic arm, I just think, yeah, I'm not going to correct you. I'm just going to let people think that I've got like a fucking a prosthetic arm. <laughs> well, what is it? It's, then? it's like one of those things where like, you, it's got a little flap so you can trap it in a door. Ah, right. <laughs> and all that, you know, it's it would be. If you lost an arm, I wouldn't say, oh, you know what, Ross, I've got I've got the solution. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll sort you out. <laughs> you know, I've got this thing was, in my bedroom in the end. It was pretty creepy, though, just, like, settling down to sleep, just feeling quite comfortable. You'd done the place nice. And I was thinking, oh, this is nice. Then looking over, and there's an arm just, like, <laughs> kicking it. And I'm like, is that, is that human? Was that the last person that stayed over? Yeah, that's the remnants. That's the remnants of Johnny Monolith. (laughs) Yeah. So, synopsis for American Mary. Um, The story follows medical student Mary Mason (laughs) as she becomes increasingly broke broke and disenfranchised with the surgical world she once admired. (laughs) The allure of easy money sends Mary into the world of underground surgeries, which ends up leaving more marks on her than her so-called freakish clientele. Freakish. Bedacious horror podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Than her so-called freakish clientele. Yeah, I I don't know if the fact that you were actually trying to say that all along with me will work, because it was kind of breaking up in the headphones, but that could just be because I'm using a headset from Poundland. Yeah. We could maybe maybe just uh, re-record it just now, just in case. On you go. (laughs) Oh, my... I just... Went away from that page as well. I'll go back to it, right? You ready? The story, the story follows was, yeah. medical student Mary Mason. See, you're not you're not saying it along with me now. Uh-huh, because no, me, <laughs> just read the fucking thing out. Me saying it will be fine. It was whether or not people oh. will be able to hear you say Oh, that's okay then. We'll leave it at that. That's cool. Oh, but also, so Mason, what we should do, we should do a little thing, because you know how like we always put our podcasts out in mono? Uh-huh. This is being recorded in stereo, and I'm on yeah. one side and you're on the other. I will eventually mix this down to mono, but I think it would be uh-huh. quite fun if uh, just I render it in stereo, and just for this little bit, the two of us can jump from ear to ear. Listen. Yeah, that'd be absolutely rubbish. Just for like 30 seconds. I'm on the left-hand nah. side. What side are you on, Ross? 
I'm on the right hand side. No. Echo, echo, echo. Now you're on the left hand side. I, what? And I'm on the right hand right, side. Okay. There you. So I won't even do that. I'll just. No, I know. So let's talk about this film. Yeah. So American Mary. Um, so the the lead actress is uh, Catherine Isabel from Ginger Snaps uh, and from yeah, uh, Jason X. Oh right, was she in that? No, sorry, not uh, Freddy vs. Jason, not Jason X. Ah, Freddy okay, Jason, cool. Which I think, uh, did Freddy vs. Jason have uh, Brandy, the singer, in it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Monica. I really want to know if anybody on the set made a joke about, oh, Ginger Snaps, Brandy Snaps. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they did. But there you go. You've, you're you're one step ahead. Oh no, of the it wasn't. Well. Was it not her from Destiny's Child? I don't. Uh, know. Yeah, I think Come it on. was her from Destiny's Child. Right. So that okay. joke didn't even have worked. <laughs> no. And nobody would have said it anyway. Yeah, I despair. I really do. You've got a pair. Uh, anyway, um, American Mary. Uh, so we're following Mary Mason, as we say, who's a, a medical student. Um, she's clearly bright she's clearly um, doing really well in her classes but she's having financial difficulties outside that are then having an impact on her coursework and so on so she's kind of facing these kind of issues and she's trying to find trying to find work uh, as a, a lap dancer or a stripper initially well, I think um, she's, she's basically just kind of looking through Craigslist type of thing just for whatever uh, sure. sort of because uh-huh. it's Craigslist, not Craigslist. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we, so she goes to a strip club um, with her resume, and they notice that she is a uh, medically trained, that she's been medically uh, trained, and she's been uh, she's been training as a surgeon. Yeah, because even um, though she's she, going for a job at a strip yeah, club, she takes her entire yeah, but she takes her entire CV with her. Which it's I thought what you was do nice. anyway. I, I thought that was quite nice. The fact that it shows you that she's kind of naive about that whole industry and everything yep. to the point where she takes like her full CV. Yeah. So I mean, I think that's is quite telling as well in the costumes that she's wearing throughout. Um, and that was one of the kind of things that they uh, were were lucky enough to be part of the Q and A um, afterwards. Um, it was a Q&A event that we were at on Sunday night with the Soska uh, sisters and uh, Catherine Isabel. Um, and neither of us asked a question, because uh, yeah. both, both the point that I was trying to make was that um, the, the, the way that she was dressed changes increasingly. She kind of becomes more herself and uh, goes through a number of costumes kind of changes in terms of what she's wearing and becomes more sophisticated as the film kind of moves on her her Uh, entire look also becomes like a facade uh, as well it's like a it's like a wall that she's got between her and the customers like as she becomes kind of more tough her her entire demeanor and look becomes a little bit harder but uh what was the lap dance club owner called again was that billy yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah I believe so. all he has a couple of because he quite likes Mary and he has some fantasies uh-huh. about Mary. Every time he has a fantasy about her, she's wearing the 
outfit that she wore when she first turned up. Okay. Uh-huh. As well, I, I noticed that, but I didn't put my hand up and say anything. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, we only we only talk to each other about films. We can't, and we're not allowed to talk to ladies. As I said, that's that's, that's like a legal thing. <laughs> yeah. Um. Sorry, Gil, I'm having problems with my computer again here. Um, I can hear you. Okay, that's that's not the issue. Oh, right. um, oh is it all the pornography pop-ups? Aye, that's what it is. Um, so, so yeah, uh, where were we? Yeah, so so we get to this, this point where uh, the where Billy, the the, the strap club owner, um, finds out that she's obviously working as uh, work, uh, going through education to become a sergeant, and. Obviously, he he's involved in the underworld, and they give her a call and say, "Well, we'd rather this person didn't die tonight." So it's a person who they've brutally uh, beaten up. No, they don't call her. Uh, that happens when she's there for her uh, kind of audition. Right, okay. I think uh-huh. remember, like the the big guy who you think, "Oh, he looks really intimidating," and then all the way through the film, you're like, "Oh, that man's just a sweetheart." <laughs> he rushes in, kind of going, "We've got a problem." Uh-huh. And because it's a medical problem, she gets uh, offered five thousand dollars to to go and sort out this medical problem, which yep. you don't okay. really see. You know, it involves <laughs> somebody has a missing eye, but uh, yep. she's kind of disgusted by it. And I like mm-hmm. the fact that her hands are covered in blood, and then she mm-hmm. takes the she's handed the big wad of cash. Meaning that there's now blood on the money, and that I thought that was a nice little blood money symbol. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yep. Yeah. Because I don't know if you've seen uh, so, Dead Hooker in a Trunk. No, I didn't watch their it. First film. That's that is good and enjoyable. Please. You were only so keen on that one, were you? No, I was. It was uh, when I tried watching it at first. I was having some uh, sound issues. Uh-huh. Where I was like, oh, this is just doing my head in. And I actually thought uh-huh. that it was a problem on the file, but it wasn't. It was it was me having sound issues, which I later right. discovered. Okay. So I was uh-huh. then able to go back and watch the film and hear it all properly. Oh. But the, okay. the two films are kind of worlds apart. It's it's like uh, they, they made a film that was like a, a work of passion. I think it was like two and a half thousand dollars. They said was the budget uh-huh. for Dead Hooker in a Trunk, and uh-huh. as a result of that, of course, Eli Roth goes, "I like that." What other ones have you got? And they kind of bluffed and said, "Oh, loads of scripts," but they had nothing. But then right. they they came up with this idea and wrote this script. And as Catherine Isabel said, it's a one hundred and ninety page script because everything's in it. Sure. And. Okay. Uh, it's like this film, I don't know if maybe the fact that somebody within the industry who they respected had said, what do you have? And maybe they thought what we have to do is kind of do something that's that's a lot, I don't want to say more professional, but uh-huh. if, you know what I mean? It's like it's, they're stylistically different and that's, right, okay. that's intentional because they're both homages to different things. Like Dead okay. Dead Hooker is Grindhouse, and they've said that American Mary is more kind of uh, European horror. Right. And okay. uh-huh. 
I was I was looking forward to seeing American Mary, and uh-huh. I wasn't prepared for how much I would actually enjoy it. Because okay, that's sure. but uh, that's the reason why when we were offered the the free signed covers at the end, mm-hmm. you went for DVD and I went for Blu-ray, because uh-huh. I am going to buy it on Blu-ray because. Right. Okay. I, I want the the highest possible quality, and you you're just okay. happy with DVD, you know you. Yeah. You might as well just walked up and slapped them, said keep your film. <laughs> I'm kidding. You would you yeah. would never do that. You you couldn't walk up yeah. and say anything to them. Neither could I. We left quite sharpish at the end, as they were yeah. sitting behind the table. I mean, we were like we would just shuffle off into the night. Yeah, the alternative was to wait in a queue to, to meet them, so that certainly wasn't eh, in the top of my agenda. But it was it was really cool. Uh, they seemed like really really good people, and uh, yeah, it was it was good to, to be in the in the company of them certainly, and yeah. to, to be hearing what they were doing. Uh, it's certainly interesting work that they're doing. And American Mary was it was real really interesting. I was quite disappointed that nobody said, "What are you doing next?" during the Q and A. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Because I want to know um, <laughs> what are you doing yeah. next. I don't think we've really kind of went into I mean, what necessarily happens on American Mary to kind no, of we'll, sell we'll, it. Uh, we'll bring it back to that then. Yeah, so, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, it's as I say, the following day after uh, after all the the chaos of the previous night, where she's patched up. Uh, this this guy uh, on behalf of the the kind of uh, gangster characters, she gets a phone call um, from a woman who has heard that she's a surgeon uh, and that she's needing money and that needs her to do just a wee bit of work. This is the lovely um, Beatrice. Yeah, so it's I think it's on Beatrice's friend, doesn't it? It's it is. Known yeah. Actually, on Beatrice herself. Yeah, Beatrice uh, is has a. That's not actually what that actress looks like. That actress is oh. actually very, very beautiful. She's made up to look like uh, somebody who's had too much plastic surgery to make her look like Betty Boop, and she yep. she does she puts on the Betty Boop type voice and everything as well. Sure. And I like the fact that when she's talking to Mary initially, she says, "Well, what do you think I look like?" And she's like, "There's like, what do you think I am or whatever?" And she's like, "You look like Betty Boop." And she's like like it's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so uh, it's um it's quite an interesting take on the the whole kind of body modification uh subculture thing and yeah subculture yeah and it's it obviously deals with the extremes of that um and it's certainly uh i mean certainly the the sister's appearance in it is very good as well and very interesting um uh, their their stint kind of involves uh, so, some modifications, but principally it involves them swapping uh, limbs. Yeah, they're swapping, swapping. Is it their left their lef- left, left arm arms. for left arm, so that then if one of them so dies, they'll there's always a part of yeah. them together. Yeah, so that's that's basically their kind of role in it, and they they play that quite well. They've got some interesting German accents, certainly. <laughs> uh, I think that was intentional. Yeah, uh, so like the demon sisters of Berlin. It was, it was like a low, um, low. Ah, oh, it was. It was not that that sort of German accent. It was. It wasn't. 
So yeah, and along the way, Mary suffers a severe uh, trauma, uh, physical and psychological trauma, that uh, results in her becoming disillusioned with medical practice, and leads the film off in a, a whole range of different ways. Yeah. But the the most interesting thing, I suppose, is that she that she she doesn't seem like a woman that's out of control. She gets a lot more in control once that's happened. Um, but I think this, she also kind of takes control over aspects of, well, sort of things within her life that she concentrates on that you've already seen she had, like, no real interest in at the start. Yeah. And it's kind of like uh-huh. an escapism type uh-huh. thing where she's... She's doing these things for making money, but uh-huh. the main reason that she's actually doing these things is something else that's happening elsewhere that that we won't talk about because it's a bit of a spoiler. But it's okay. it's a it's really nice the way that this film keeps a lot from you mm-hmm. until you really need to know. It's because it's. Essentially, there's a a kind of a police story uh-huh. that comes in maybe about a third of the way through. Yeah, thankfully that's that's kept to a minimum. Yeah, um, it's it's like a proper police story. It's not like it's not like the the policeman that's got any sort of interest in talking to her about stuff becomes invasive in any way. Uh-huh. It, so I thought that was quite good. The fact that that character would disappear for extended periods of time and come back. Uh-huh. So you could imagine that, yeah, he is off checking out other leads. It's not like uh-huh. the cheesy thing you get in a film like uh, Basic mm-hmm. Instinct, where uh-huh. it's just they just keep relentlessly pursuing the Sharon Stone character, yeah, yeah. and you're like, well, you know, the, they obviously suspect like her so much, and that that uh-huh. horrible one with Madonna. So I thought that the the police story was uh, handled quite well because it it makes it more like she's one suspect of many as opposed to yeah prime suspect as you would call it yeah thing. absolutely so absolutely it's like you can have um, several different stories continuing beside each other without it becoming overly yeah confused. I could live with it I could live with it that cop character being in there at all to be honest I don't really I. I don't need it um, it's to give the story any kind of validity. Um, no, but I think it, it kind of pushes things along a bit more. Yeah, I, it makes I her more guarded. And that's yeah, that's like the, the whole part of her character is that she becomes very, very guarded. You know, you as, as she becomes more and more guarded, uh-huh. Billy becomes more fond of her, but all, all of his ideas of her is him reminiscing to their uh-huh. first meeting, so yeah, you know, his as he's getting to the point where he would make advances on or whatever, she's uh-huh. she's not somebody that's willing or accepting of somebody making advances upon her. But sure. that it's like there's a there's a wee tiny love story in there where there is a point at which maybe something would have happened, but that things have continued that take the uh-huh. two characters further away in a uh-huh. kind of psychological way because they, yep. they just okay. 
as much as his fondness grows, her distance grows as well. And part okay. of the reason that her distance grows, that has to involve the the policeman, because the policeman turning up is like a reminder of the other half of the story that we're not going to tell people about. You right. Know, okay. If if it was if the other half of the story was dealt with in a different way, she would. Uh-huh. You, you would just have lots of scenes where she has to keep revisiting this scenario, mm-hmm. which would become probably boring and just seem crowbarred in. But yeah. having like just this uh, kind of shadowy figure that's slightly imposing, mm-hmm. that makes it much easier for the viewer to be like, oh, well, he can't find out about that thing. Mm-hmm. Or she can't let him into her world and she becomes increasingly pushing everybody away. And it's interesting yeah. that the one character that she seems to to have an increasing bond with is the the guy who is essentially a bodyguard and therefore represents security. Who's that? Uh, I can't remember what his name was, the big tall guy with the long hair, the you know, as it goes on, uh-huh. he, they oh, have, yeah, like, sure, they have okay. like, their little talks and everything, and it's... Yeah, so that kind of bonding moment. Yeah, I suppose, yep. yeah. But maybe I, I was thinking too much about it, but I really enjoyed the film. Yeah, it was really good. It, was, it worked really well. Um, always, uh, I, I find, uh, I, I found Catherine Isabel quite, um, quite brilliant in the, in the film. And she, she kind of cuts quite a different personality and and person, so it was quite yeah. strange um, meeting meeting somebody who was who was in that kind of position where you. I like that she said she doesn't really watch horror films because yeah, they creep her out. You know, yeah, you are you're well known for horror films, and her performance in this has been rightly praised. Yep. Sure. So, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it comes out on DVD and Blu-ray on the 21st. Mm-hmm. And I, I think oh, is it's... It, is, there, is it as soon as that? Yeah, it comes out uh, Monday. My goodness. Yep. I have it on my Amazon watch list. <laughs> well done. Yep. Oh. Well, because, of course, it's my birthday on Thursday, so... Mm-hmm. I also have Manborg on my Amazon watch list. <laughs> I'm just letting the yeah the if you listeners know, know. You know if they want to if if they happen to randomly type in the letters G I double L E A T H A I yeah don't do that <laughs> don't don't encourage don't, them but don't yeah go to Amazon Manborg, do that. Manborg looks amazing and it's certainly one that uh, one that I'm excited about um so yeah that's that was uh, American Mary so it looks like that's going to be uh, so twenty first that comes out. I'm sure it's the twenty first. Yeah, and that's that's distributed by Universal. Um but it's the, the Soska sisters and this is their is this their first full feature or is Dead, uh, Dead, Dead Hooker in a Trunk is a uh-huh. full feature. But uh, uh-huh. it was it was basically a like Shadow of Death type thing, you know, uh-huh. it's all funded by friends and everything and the like the there's a guy that's in that with them who I think he's also like the cameraman or director of photography huh. it's like the credits are all the same names basically just repeating yeah. because 
they all just they had to. So it's it's quite interesting that they made this really small film. That I mean, it it could have just gone nowhere. Nobody could have ever seen it. But uh-huh. because of the like Grindhouse trailer thing and all that that we've talked about before on previous episodes, mm-hmm. they got their film to Eli Roth, who really enjoyed it, and mm-hmm. was then like, "What else have you got?" And then they've. So that's really interesting because I thought that was a I thought that was a joke. Like at the end when it came up for Eli Roth, I kind of um... no Eli Roth has been a major help for the girls yeah, and a, a big support for them. So I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if their entire involvement with Universal has just come through the back come of from uh, somebody that's known and respected within the industry raving about their film. Well, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far. I think this is an, an excellent piece of work. No, I, I don't mean that. It stands in I mean Dead Hooker. Um, I mean Dead Hooker in a trunk. Right, sure. I, I think sure. that they're, that was their end to what uh-huh. is... You know, they they made short films. and Sadly, I, I don't know where you can find their short films because I did have a look. But if anybody knows yeah. where we can see their earlier shorts, I would like to see them. Yeah, and absolutely. they've... Uh, so I mean, certainly, I mean, it's one of these things we always get excited about. People like um, when people, when a director comes out with a clear vision, and I mean, in the past we've had people like Rob Zombie and uh, Ty West um, that have had very clear visions and maybe taken the genre and a kind of couple of that. It's really refreshing that uh, that these are two uh, two females that are working together as a team, as a directing unit. Um, Sist- who have come up, who've come doing it for aye, themselves, but, but who've come up also from doing everything themselves. Yep. So the, I mean, that was one of the kind of experiences that they shared, which was quite interesting, was that they expected to be doing a whole lot of stuff on their own. Um, when they were making that, when they were when they were making this movie, they expected to be running about the place, but this was their first opportunity at using a. A budget, I suppose. Yeah, so therefore so being able to actually employ people, and the, I think the, one of the, if I, if I had asked a question, uh-huh. I, I was wanting to ask, was it intimidating going from being very very obvious indie filmmakers and doing absolutely everything yourself, and having to basically <laughs> learn how to do everything, to then having uh-huh. a budget where you can employ people who have, they are trained at doing these things, and was there, like, maybe any sort of, like, a learning curve for them that they will then take on into their future work? Or did they, like, see people doing things and go, oh, shit, that thing that I spent five days trying to figure out, that's it right there. Ah. So, I mean, that's absolutely, and I mean, I think without wanting to be too gushing as well, um, obviously we've given a lot of time to, to Soska Sisters. Dysmorphia was absolutely excellent, and yeah. it's I think it's kind of incumbent on us to really be be spreading the word about that. Um, and the two of them, side by side, worked really well, because without giving yeah, too much absolutely. away, there was like a kind of, there was a body modification vibe yeah, obviously there is, and I mean the title. The title gives it away. It's a it's a bit body dysmorphia. Yeah. Uh, 
but this is taken to an extreme, and it's um, yeah, a damn fine piece of work, and we really, uh, uh, really respect those guys, and I, I really hope we get to see some of their their work soon as well, um, because it's really good stuff, and it's it's even better that they're from from nearby. Um, and I have told and Andy Stewart that you would be willing to do uh, a cameo as uh, the Frankenstein's as, monster, no, as Christopher Nolan. Ah, <laughs> oh, you dick. <laughs> You cheeky bugger. Okay. Well, on that note, guys, I think um, it's time to perhaps draw the the, the episode to a close. Yeah. Um, it's been a lot of fun like this week. We have to we have to slightly apologise for me rambling a bit too much in the past couple of weeks, but we yeah, don't perhaps. but we don't really care, do we? No, I, I, we do care, but uh, <laughs> it's what we do. Our our lives are in the toilet, so it kind of <laughs> <laughs> it's. Uh, it's kind of natural for us to be a little bit... Uh... We're the, we are the podcast version of Tales from the Crapper. <laughs> uh, we are the podcast underclass. Mm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it remains to be... Uh, sorry, it remain, just remains to be said, thank you very much indeed for listening. Um, we really appreciate it, and we want to thank everybody that's been involved in tonight's show, because there's been a few. We should also give special uh, thanks to Ideal Cynic. For helping us, yeah, because uh, uh, he uh, helped us test the the ability and possibility of recording conference calls. So, yeah, so that was great, and it was it was really nice to actually talk to him. It was kind of, one of our one of our longest term listeners, mm. and so it was really cool to be in a position to be to get, chatting to away get a wee peek behind the curtain. Yeah, absolutely. And just to, just to keep a bit of mystique, we didn't do video conferencing. Yeah, that's how. You know, so, I mean, he this, can still this, sneak this, up on us in the street because he knows what we look like. But we don't know what he looks like. Yep. So, yeah. We know what so Hannah that, looks like, so we can yeah. only assume that he is a stunning, stunning He's man. <laughs> He's like an Adonis up. or something. I just want to say, this is Gil. That was Gil that was speaking. <laughs> Dear me. Oh, so, you're, so you're saying that. You're, you're a sleaze. I'm not. I was. I was, You're I was giving a, like, a really quick little compliment so, there that you could elect. So yeah, yeah if, any, if any, that's, that's like what our, our competition is going to be like next. It's going to be like a kind of Reader's Wives type thing. Uh, to get the American Mary cover, you need to send like a picture of your, uh, your husband's... Listen uh, sisters. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think at that <laughs> at that we need to we need to really draw it to a close. Yeah. Um, so thank you very much indeed for listening. Thanks to Travis Campbell for uh, the excellent interview, which uh, uh, we haven't recorded. He's not even on Skype yet. He's not. Oh, he's not. He's not appearing on he's my not Skype. Skype. Is this interview um, even happening? Are we just lying <laughs> to people. Um, and we want to thank obviously Jason Figgis uh, for providing us with uh, the screener. And also uh, Andy. Uh, providing us with and- uh, the ability to rewatch Dysmorphia to our heart's content. Yep, absolutely. So thank you all very much indeed for listening. If you want to leave us a comment on uh, iTunes, that would be very much appreciated. Uh, reviews are always welcome. Yep. Um, and you can find us on Twitter uh, at Bodacious Horror um, or at Gilrokotansky. Uh, and you can also find us on Facebook uh, if you do a search for Gil and Roscoe's Bodacious Horror Podcast. So thank you very much once again, 
uh, ladies and gentlemen, and good evening. Yep. And uh, and just before we go, Ross, do you know yeah. what uh, what a laser sounds like in a church? I don't. Pew pew pew. Oh. Anyway, bye bye everybody. Bye everybody. <laughs> I love it when it. <laughs> you love it when what? I love it when the guy... I don't know what's the words. I don't know. Bye. <laughs> I like scary movies. <laughs> That's all staying in. Greetings, my friend.